to the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, freedom, flow, agorism, anarchy, and more. We'll discuss how to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. This is Mike the Polymath coming from the Easy Peasy Workshop in Indianapolis, Indiana, the crossroads of America. Thanks for joining. How's it going, y'all? Welcome to part two. Now, I probably, in all honesty, should have broken part one into part one and two, and this might have been part three, but I figured, who fucking cares if there's a two and a half hour episode? Hell, I think think that last one was almost three hours. Uh, to be honest, I don't know how long this one's going to be yet, but it's going to be long too. You know, there's a lot of wisdom and it takes a while to speak it. So like I said in the last episode, you know, whereas that one was all interviews one-on-one, this is going to be all clips from some of the lectures that were given And I guess before we get into it, you might have noticed a new intro song on these two episodes. That would be the picking of my good friend Nick Harley, Nashville musician that I've known since college, good, good friend of mine who's got a lot of cool shit to say too, and I I got a two-hour interview out of him right before self-reliance. But I decided to get the self-reliance episodes out first. I just tell you that to, well, first of all, give credit where credit's due to my main man, Nick, for picking that one out, not even knowing at the time that I was going to use it for an intro. But with that said, uh, I'll, I'll be dropping his episode sometime later on this week, but I'm not trying to hit you with all this content at once. So with that, I hope you enjoy Self-Reliance Part 2. Does anybody want to be bit by a dog? Weird! I heard that I heard That's there's so a dog here. I heard there's a dog suit here. Those dogs over there will climb ladders, they walk tight ropes. And they will put a suit on you if you want to get bit by a dog. And it will hurt. I think that's pretty cool. And it will hurt. And it will hurt. Which is why I'm not going to do that. The bucket truck, those guys run six or seven of those trucks every day. And they're running 20 chainsaws every day. If there's anything you want to see or know about chainsaws, that's the guy over there. We've got more than 20 vendors. A lot of them are at tables in the factory because I think they were like AC. 
on it. Uh, but we've also got some bigger booths out here. More will fill in throughout the day. I wanted to thank some sponsors today. First, I wanted to thank Bergen County Harley Davidson. It's the second time they've sponsored this event. They want me to tell you that they are your freedom oasis when you go north of the border where you don't want to be. And then we've got Bearings, Belts, and Chains, BBC Inc. He's not here today, but they sponsored the blog and uh, provided some really good pricing on chips that are being resold at the food area. Um, SOE. <laughs> I can't believe how happy they are to open up this whole campus, but it's really made it a lot easier, the degree to which you let us come in and take over everything. This is a sew shop I started 35 years ago, and it's allowed us to do really anything we want to do. The last three years, we've spent basically setting things up so that we don't have to be in business anymore. And uh, nylon gear. If you need gear, awesome. If you don't, welcome. Awesome. If there's something you see on the property that's not included in what we're doing, come find me, and we will go have a conversation about it. Yeah. If you can go find me, and we will go look at anything on the property. Awesome. Uh, Living Free Tennessee, that's me. And Florida Coffee has coffee for you at the coffee booth. We're asking for donations. Your first cup is free, but it's a lot of you now. So we could use, you know, take a cup, put a little something in the pot there. Um, speaking of pots, last time we did this festival, um, there were fewer of you. And we backed up the toilets inside. So we've got a lot of porta potties. Please, even if you're kind of friends with John and used to using the inside facilities, use the porta potties because a septic system can only take so much torture. It's 30 years old. Yeah. The septic system. There are six bogs. And there are four in this back corner and two behind the building if you're a more private person. So do with that information what you will. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but drink water. There's water bottles for sale at the food tent, which is just around the corner by the garage. And there are also two orange coolers of water that we're refilling throughout the day. Keep drinking that water. You're losing more than you think you are here. And that's something, if you see somebody who looks like they need water, tell them to please go drink water. And if somebody tells you to drink water, don't argue. They're probably right. <laughs> okay. So with that, um, our first official, do you have anything else you want to talk about? We hope by the end of this weekend, you're going to live up to what's on my shirt here, which is be prepared. Not scared. Which, yeah, which shirt you are. Where, where, where? Be prepared, not scared. We're going to kick off our first session at 10 a.m. here, underground networking. And down at the garage space, we have greenhouse, an overview of how to get started with the greenhouse. So choose if you want underground networking with Nicole Sauce, or if you want to have the greenhouse demo that's going to happen. And we will see you all at 10 o'clock. And there's, there are two things we can do, right? We can pod out by our states, talk about how we're going to make another one of these in your state, right? You guys got to do the work though, I'm not doing it. People keep coming up, when are you doing this in my state? Never, never. <laughs> I'm doing it here, right? But you can do it in your state. Because if we are going to decentralize and we are going to interact with each other and do commerce with each other without asking permission, what has to be in place? 
a network. I'm going to tell you a story. I live on a road where all of our neighbors pretty much are either prepper friendly or kind of preparedness mindset. My closest neighbors are the hauler neighbors. And we work together on projects like raising sheep, like raising bunnies, like fixing each other's things that go wrong when somebody knows how to do that. We call ourselves a hauler neighbor. And one of my neighbors moved to California. I don't know why. But he did. And he rented out his place. And the person who's moving in wants to do homesteading and all sorts of stuff. He calls me all excited. You're going to love this person. I'm like, great. Put me in contact with him. I need to finish changing a lock on one of your outbuildings. Have him text me. I'll arrange a time. And their answer to him was as follows. I don't want to be friends with anybody on this road. I just want to be isolated up here. Right? That person is paranoid. And I can understand. We look at what's going on in the world right now. A lot. How many people have woken up in the last two years? Be honest. Raise your hands. What made you wake up? COVID. Anybody else wake up for a different reason than COVID? So some of these parents would lay laid off, burn through their savings and minutes. Anybody else? Something. Yeah. Yeah, truck drivers see all sorts of things. Has anybody been demoralized by watching the public leaders, the government officials, do things almost purposely to make it look to make it worse? To make a bad situation worse? Hands up. Yeah. And was your first reaction to that one of fear? You can, you can admit it. Who, who was a little afraid when they saw that for the first time? What was your first instinct? Sell my house, get out of there. Sell my house, get out of there. What was yours? My first instinct was I need more guns. More guns. More guns. Was it, I kind of want to go off in the woods somewhere where people are going to leave me alone. Alex Jones was right. Yeah. Alex Jones was right. <laughs> What, so there are three signs you're panicking. One, it's not bad to have guns, but if your only solution is guns, what are you ignoring? Food, fuel, water, community. Like one person with a gun can do some things, but like 20 people with a gun. I'm not advocating for that, but I'm just saying, if your friends all around you know how to use guns, then if there's ever a problem, you can do a lot more, a lot more quickly than waiting 45 minutes for the sheriff to come in my county. That's how long it takes, right? Not that any of us want it to come to that, but if it has to come to that, that is the purpose of the Second Amendment. Am I wrong? No, no. So that's one sign. Another sign is that you have a room full of five-gallon buckets of 20-year shelf-stable MREs or other freeze-dried foods. Who has that? Are you ever going to use it? Do you use it now? You use freeze-dried stuff. Okay. Does anybody have stuff like that they're pretty sure they're never going to use? I'll use it for sacrifice food. What made you want to do that? Was it listening to somebody's advice to do that? It was just like, I'm going to do what I can do and I'm going to get this done. What are you going to do with that food now? I don't know, I guess you need to sell it. Okay, does anybody here have good recipes for 20-year shelf-stable 
freeze-dried food. Raise your hands. Hot sauce makes everything taste good. Jake? I would give it away to people who are wanting food. I don't want to eat. If you know any hikers? Backpackers, uh, you might want to crack it open and see if it's like I use freeze-dried food here in my Airbnb. I can add water and it's a stew, right? Some of that stuff tastes terrible though. Does anybody taste some terrible stuff in those, those? Oh man, yeah. I mean, it's there. You have to decide if you want. There's a spider. Hey, get off there. Anyway, okay. Third sign that you're panicking. What's the third sign? Hmm. Cut yourself off from anybody else. If, if your response is to withdraw from your friends and your families who don't get it, guys, there will always be guy, people in your life who don't get it. And if you withdraw from them, they're going to not get it for longer. Right? If you are an empowering presence in their life, and if you just model a prepared, logical, stable, building the life I want, right? Building the life you choose on your terms. If you model that, every so often a light bulb goes up. I think for me, when I look at what we need to do next, where we are, every time we have one of these self-reliance festivals, there are more people and we are one step closer to we're pretty sure the apocalypse is coming. Am I right? I mean, I would basically hear people like, we think the economy might just kind of go, does anybody feel that way? Right? Okay, so how do you survive economic collapse? How do you do well in that situation? Not, is it coming in a lifetime? How do you do well? Who does well in economic collapse? <laughs> Build your empire while there's crashes. Tomorrow at what time? 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. Yeah. Goods and skills. Goods and skills. The reason I talk about underground networking is a totally different presentation every single time is we are in a different place every single time. And at this point, we've gotten to a very important place in developing our network. We've got each other. All we have to do is let go of all those insecurities that we have where we're not good enough to teach a chicken class or we're not good enough to do IT for somebody. I know you don't pick that. I'm not good enough to show you my brownie recipe. That is all fully bullshit. That is all fully bullshit. If you have done it once and done it well, you can show somebody else. If you've done it five times and two of those are bad, you're an even better teacher because you'll be like, oh yeah, so um, <clears throat> if you don't clean your duck coop enough with enough wood chips, your ducks get this disease and they die, right Jack? How'd you learn that lesson? I killed ducks. He killed ducks. <laughs> The thing I want to see us do here is go from we know each other to we've got each other's back. And the only way we can do that is leave our little introverted little doubt voices at the gate, put on our big boy and girl panties, and start talking to each other and being brave about sharing what you do know about and being humble about asking for things that you want to know about. I watched a pig butchering process. Do you know how many pigs I've processed in my life at this point? Probably 10. I know a thing or two about butcher. I watched Billy's class, and I learned something I had never seen before. 
It's worth it to go to class after class after class sometimes on things you already know stuff about and be humble. But it's also worth it to show people what you know and be honest. I've processed, you know, my first processing class, I've only processed about 40 chickens in my life. At this point, it's in the hundreds. But I just did the class. I knew we'd get through it. I knew there'd be people who loved the head part. And we'd help them with that. But I knew how to eviscerate the chicken. Now I can eviscerate three of the most people's one. <laughs> right? It's just iteration. And if you don't start iterating, we never get there. Okay, the next thing is the traveler. Who's a traveler here? Rebecca. <laughs> right? Our travelers are so important because right now we have a gift. We have a gift that is the internet, which enables us to instantly communicate with each other. It's also a curse. It is also a curse because we are dependent on it, and if it goes away, we're not quite what, sure we could do with ourselves, are we? We have travelers. In a situation where our communication systems are down for a bit, how do we get information from one place to another besides carrier pigeon? Pony Express. Pony Express. You, you end up having a locus like special operations equipment where you can leave a bulletin board and people who pass through leave messages. You know where they do this all the time? Appalachian Trail, right? Yes, as you're hiking along, people are leaving notes to each other at, in, in books at, at, I don't know what they're called, waypoints, I call them waypoints. Who here has a community around it that would be kind of a locus? Special Operations Equipment is? Jack Spearco's? Where, where's yours? Huh? Jamestown. Jamestown. All right, that's not far from me. So I should get your address in case we ever need to, right? Will you see me later today and we'll do that? Right? Who else has a locus? Anybody? Who's willing to have a locus? Oh, where's yours? The local pub. Indianapolis. Indianapolis local pub. See, we need to get this documented and we need to share it with each other. I need a locust czar. So if you're like, I want to be a locust czar, which means you're going to help us. Ooh. Yeah, that was dramatic. If somebody wants to be the locust czar for people who are into self-reliance and self-reliance festival, we can get a list. We can share a list with people we trust. And then if another community that's strong, like Survival Podcast, has some online communities that already do this, which I know they do, we can have travelers go back and forth, both virtually, right, trusted people, and physically. Because there are just, like, I get random people who want to stay at my place, and I say no a lot because I need to be alone sometimes, but sometimes I say yes. And if not, I usually know a place where they can be. People will come on our Freedom Cell Telegram all the time and say, I'm going to be in Tennessee, who wants to meet me? The key to success in that particular communication, and this is going to be hard for some of my Gen Ys and my Gen Zs, give us a week or two heads up, man. Because <laughs> Gen X, we do solve problems, but we also plan our stuff in advance and we'll end up, we'll be like, I'm going to be like something else every hour of the day all weekend long. But if I can make time to meet a new person on the way through and like meet them at a bar somewhere or have them come out and check out the place if we have an open house that day, I'm gonna do it. I just need more of a heads up than tomorrow because tomorrow is booked. People buy my coffee wide in addition to the awesome flavor. 
to support me. And you know what I do when I make purchasing decisions? I look at our network and I say, is there somebody in our network who does video work for money? Rebecca, do you do video work for money? Yeah. I would rather hire Rebecca than a rando video person that I find who's cheaper than Rebecca. Why? She will be here for me. We will have a relationship. And that is important on anything from video production to if you buy coffee for me on the regular and coffee beans are getting tight, which they will, guess who gets coffee first? You or new people? You. Jack will always be able to get his coffee for me. <laughs> right? And that kind of thing is what makes our underground network powerful. And you hear me talking about commerce a lot. You know why? Relationships are very commerce related. Even if we have that deep connection, we are getting something from each other. And it's not bad. That's actually a good thing. We should be getting something from each other. We've been taught it is selfish to get things. I give things and get things, and that's okay. I don't have like a tally of like every conversation I had with somebody, and then they have to have a conversation back. But I am not ashamed when, when somebody says, hey, Nicole, can I help you? And I say, you know, I need these charcuterie trays done. And they just did it for me today, right? I'm not, I'm not feeling awkward or out of balance because somebody was willing to do that for me. I'm thankful that my relationship was trusting enough that that person was willing to give me the most important resource they have, which is their time. So when we talk about underground networking, we're also talking about tapping into things, doing commerce with each other, and you know what happens when this gets bigger and bigger and bigger? Do we care if the economy crashed at that point? Why not? Because ours didn't. It's like, the answer is that simple. We just need to solve problems like Gen Xers, right? We just need to keep trying. And the thing is, a lot of my Gen X friends are too lazy to do it. So we need Y and Z to step up because you guys got all the energy now. I'll do it. I'll do it. He'll do it. But Gen Z and Y are who, save, who, who, who rebuilds the next system. We'll help. It may end up being us at this point. We got Gen Y over there, though, the, uh, the farm stand over there. You'll be hearing from the Hundleys later. Homesteading for a living, that's their channel. Who wants to learn how to do homesteading for a living? Right? Well, that's Gen Y doing homesteading for a living. They're, gonna, they're solving problems. So I'm not dissing the generations. I'm just saying we gotta, we gotta kick it into overdrive. And then the last thing we need in our communities, and this one's really important, is your evangelist. I'm an evangelist, right? Who else here is, though? You are. You're an evangelist. What do you do? Podcast. Podcast. Awesome. Every one of you can be an evangelist without me standing up on the stage here if that makes you scared. But what do we say we need to have to fix this problem? Courage. When people are talking to you about the biggest question on their mind, which this week just happens to be what? How am I going to pay for all the gas? 
Most people aren't scared about the food. They're scared about the gas, right? This week. What can you do as an evangelist without having to stand up on the stage right now? You can hook them up with some best practices. Do you let your car get all the way to empty every time and sit on it overnight while the gas is going up 10 cents? Did you have to spend that money anyway? Are there other, other ways, like, talk them through it. Because when you start talking people through it, they start saying, how do you know all this? Oh, there's your opening. What do you do in answer to that? They're giving you permission to teach it. You say, well, you know, the word prepper has a bad rap, but I, I like to think about the things that are most likely to happen in my life and prepare for them. And this is how I do that. And when you're prepared for those things, when calamity happens, because it will, like really bad shit happens. We've had a civil war once already in this country. That was not a fun time. The skills you get from being prepared, from non-panic-related prepping, from just building what I would call a, is a normal way of approaching living, are the skills you need to do best in that situation, to step back and say, okay, what, what opportunities are here? How can we take advantage of these opportunities and come out on the other side of this better, even if we have some hard months? That's the beauty of what we have right now. We are not looking at an economic collapse, oh no, problem. We're looking at an economic transition that's an opportunity for us. We can build what we know we've always needed to have, what we already have here in this room, bigger. We can build back better. Womp <laughs> 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 Let's go Brian. Woo! And the way we do that is by being focused, letting go of the fear, and stop trying to use laws and voting to decentralize systems. Because laws don't decentralize things, you do. So today, when you're walking around, think about what can I offer? What am I afraid to do that I should just do? And I saw a lot of people in that big class who were afraid jump in and get bloody. And that was badass, guys. They're like, fine, I'll do it. And then once one person does it, another person does it. Use the peer pressure here to come out enthusiastic, go home, and hit the ground running. Because next Self-Reliance Festival in October, what I want to see is that entire vendor row is full, and we are trading more and more and more with each other. We are supporting each other in skills, and we have anarchy presentations in the campground, like we're totally going to have this time now. What's an anarchy presentation, you ask? Well, now that you're aware you have skills, go out there and start sharing them. Just because you're not on the agenda doesn't mean you can't do a demo. Just don't do a demo that pisses Mama Sauce off by being in her way. That's the only rule. <laughs> That's the only rule. Guys, we've got this. Our underground network is here, it's now, and all we have to do is build it. But it's up to you. Thanks for listening to me for a whole 45 minutes. So what's happened? Chickens come out every single day. Every single day, I'll feed them on top of this pot. Okay? They're getting all of their carbs out of here. They're getting all of their protein out of these pots. Now, every single week, what's going to happen? Like I said, they will work on this. This, um, everybody see that? Can you see that little compost cage? 
They're getting all their, you feed them there every single day. But once a week, you're going to turn that pile out. You're going to flip it. You're going to add moisture in it. It keeps on indefinitely. It keeps on as long as you want it to. Okay? Everybody confused or no? Make sense? A little bit? If anybody has questions, just kind of raise your hand up and we can get to it as, as we need to. We'll get to that in a minute, though. We'll get to the questions in a minute. So, within this system, and if you doubt me, go look at our YouTube channel because it's out there for everybody to see. We've adapted this system. So we're saying if this will produce one cubic yard, can we produce more? We were, at a time, producing one and a half cubic yards. Then we kicked it on up to two cubic yards. And it works. The better, the more you add to it, up to three cubic yards, the better the system works. Now, it works well in the winter. And we're talking North Carolina winter. Works well in the summer. The only thing you need to make sure of it is that the piles have at least some measure of moisture in there. Look, this isn't a panacea. You're not going to learn overnight how to do this. I had to invent a lot of the technology we now know of this, okay? When I was learning this, there was minimal understanding on how to do this. So I was running three different chicken tractors on steroids at the same time trying to figure it out. For example, what if I don't have cows, okay? A lot of these questions can be answered on our YouTube channel. So if you don't have cows, what do you do? Because I said you take the bedding out, stick it in the bottom, cover it up with poop. It can be pig poop, believe it or not. It can be pig poop, lamb poop, hippopotamus poop. You name it. It doesn't matter. Dog? No, no. That's, <laughs> I almost said yeah, but no. Not dog poop. Um, no, that's good. Rabbit. Right. Rabbit. Good. Rabbits are, rabbit poop's good to use. Goat? Yeah. Cuda Monday? Anything, but not dogs. Okay, not cats. If you got cats, they'll get in there, but it's negligible. It's not going to be a big deal. So what's happening? Every week, you're turning out a pile. That's week one. Week two. Week three, in four weeks, you will produce the best compost for your area on the planet. And why do I say that? How can I possibly say that? Because the microbes that you produce in this system, remember, we're not just farming soil, we're not just grass farmers, we're microbe farmers. That's really the way you ought to be looking at this stuff. Because the microbes in that pile, let's say it's not even perfect, it is more perfectly adapted to your property. Because when you take a compost pile, let's say I get one from John here on this farm. I live six hours away. It's like taking an Eskimo and dropping them off in an equator. Ain't going to do too good, right? Or take the compost that's indigenous to my place, the microorganisms, take them out here. It's not going to do as good. It may look rich, it may look lush, it may be wonderful in every way you can imagine. But at the end of the day, the compost you produce on your property is the best compost in the world. Dead serious. I'll say it again. The compost you produce on your property is better than anything you can hope to buy. I mean, within a couple of miles of your place, you probably get some good stuff. But outside of that, you are not getting microbes that are indigenous to your property. So every, after four weeks, initially in this system, I'm putting out, imagine this thing tractoring through the landscape, okay? So every week after that, it can even be adapted for every two weeks. Every week after that, you're putting out at least a cubic yard of dynamite compost that you can't buy. How cool is that? And you're doing it all for free. So if I'm using exclusively layers, what did I tell you the magic number was? 28. Now what do you think it is if I'm using meat first? Let's say big red broilers. 
the number actually goes down. Yeah. And here's why. The ideal bird in a system like this is the polar opposite of everything, just like everything else you've been told. Me and John had long conversations over the last couple of days about how nearly everything you think you know is a lie, right? What you've been told about the perfect bird, what you've been told about the perfect cow, that's another discussion. What you've been told about the perfect pig is the polar opposite of what they tell you. The perfect bird in this system is a good, heavy-bodied bird that forages very well. My favorite go-to, Bar Plymouth Rock. Ostrilorps. You always want to ostrilorp in your flock anyway because they look like crows, so birds of prey are less likely to attack your birds. It makes a big difference. It really does. Um, Rhode Island Reds. They work great in the system. But if I had to pick one bird, but remember, we're permaculture designers. We don't just take anything in a vacuum. So we have multiple different types of birds within this system. So within this system, meat birds, 21. Magic number. Because they're bigger birds. They move more stuff. They need more food, right? So 28, exclusively layers. That's what you currently have. Dual purpose. Um, you can get it. You can use that many if you're dual purpose. 24 with dual purpose and 21. You can even back it off to 17 with good birds, good big body birds that forage well and will get in there and move soil around, okay? So. So that meat birds, how big is the, uh, the chicken house? Okay, this question is, because I know everybody can't hear it. This question is, how big is the chicken house? Well, the golden rule is one square foot per bird. So. If I have 28 birds, I need 28 square feet, right? Wrong. Because that's, the, that's remember I told you everything you've been told is wrong? <laughs> yeah, so they tell you the golden rule is one square foot per bird. In a four by six tractor, I should only get how many birds? 24 birds, right? 24 square feet. I can actually get about 35 in there. So you gotta play with these numbers. Everything they tell you, now there's certain, People will tell you, don't feed comfrey, don't do this, don't do that. Look, y'all, I'm finding out, after having done this for years and years, along with him, been trained, he's been specifically trained by some of the best on the planet. And we are finding out that everything we think we know is a lot. So you want to push those limits. So, can I answer your question? Anybody? Okay, before we get it, let me just pull this off real quick before we get into this system even more. We live in a small town, and we still own that property in Decab, Texas. It's claim to fame, home of Dan Blocker, Hoss Cartwright, right? Nobody in that town. Like I people tell me, I can't do this. I, I don't have access to this. I don't have access to that. So how are we able to do it in a small town like that? Who thinks they don't have access to food? Okay, I, mean, I kind of set you up for not raising your hand on that. So if you live near a city, you probably got a Chipotle around, right? Talk to the general manager. They will work with you. You might have a Panera Bread. Not perfect, but it's still food. And in these times when gas is over five bucks a gallon in some places, maybe you're not so concerned about it being non-GMO. Who knows? It may be what you need. But I'm going to tell you, the goal colleges, universities. I've got to deal with the University of North Carolina begging me to come get, because all these high-polluting kids these days go to school and they don't want to eat, you know, Chef Boyardee, they got to have organic. 600 pounds a day. They're willing to give it for me. Better yet, they're still willing, they're, they're going to ship, they're going to sift it for me, but pasta over here, vegetables here, bread over here. 600 pounds a day. 
Okay, so you're saying I don't live near any of those, but I'll tell you what you do have around. Schools. Name a town that doesn't have a junior high, middle or middle school, elementary school, high school. What do they have there? If you don't know about this book, you need to think about it, especially in these times. It's called The Independent Farm State by Sean and Beth Dort. I thought I invented this years ago, come to find out these people were light years ahead of me. Okay? Get that book, you'll be glad you did. Because you find out that in their system, it all surrounds itself around the family milk cow. So, you get the milk, you got, um, your, your um, omnivores, your pigs and chickens can eat that food, right? All the stuff you don't eat. And then you grow other things, either grow it or you acquire it. Let's say it's within a school system. So what do they have in all these junior high schools? What do they have in the elementary school? What do they give them every day that you can drink? Do you have any idea? Check, you doubt me. Go look at every school dumpster you can think of and count the number of milk jugs you see in there. Don't, don't tell me it doesn't happen. I know. I've done it. I've seen it. They fill up in a single day in Decab, Texas, which is where we started all this, a quarter of that dumpster a day full of the milk that they are not allowed to reuse. Now, is that perfect milk? I wouldn't drink it, but my chickens and pigs would, okay? Now, I'm saying this. This isn't ideal. So anybody that tells me I can't do this chicken tractor on steroids where I live, yet you're not ex you need to expand, expand your thinking because I guarantee there's a junior high, there's an elementary, there's a high school where they're throwing foods away in extraordinary amounts. In fact, one trip per week to Chipotle is enough to feed five, no, no, six adult pigs and 30 chickens for a week. So you may not live next to a Chipotle, but you live next to a school, I guarantee it. There's somebody around you. If I could do it, and he could do it, in Decab, Texas, home of Hoss Cartwright, <laughs> it can be done anywhere in the United States of Amnesia. It can be done. You just got to be thinking outside the box. You have to be thinking far outside the box, y'all. Far as your uh, carbon sources. We've covered all that on the YouTube channel. It can be done, and it can be done. Now, when you go in there, because I was just having this conversation over there. How are we doing on time? Can I explain this? Okay. We'll get into Q&A here before too long. Somebody was asking um, a question regarding how you approach these people, businesses, regarding getting their food scraps. Let me tell you what you don't do. Don't go in there and say, hey, I'm Billy, the permaculture pink dad. I want to acquire all your food scraps so I can give it to my pigs and chickens. <laughs> the answer will always be no. And in fact, they'll never give you the time of day. In fact, when you go in there, don't dress like me. Let me pick, out, let me pick on somebody. Let me tell you what to dress like. That gentleman back there has got a collar on. Sorry, bro. You're the only one. <laughs> Better still, if you can go in there with a shirt that has your logo on it and your name on it. It makes you look legit. So here's how you do it. Here's, I'm going to show you the pitch, and it works like a champ. In fact, I've heard yes. In fact, I bought land this way. Handshake deals, doing this very same thing. If you doubt me, you can ask the two guys working my booth over there right now. They're living on the land up there. In, <laughs> they're living on the land we purchased with a handshake deal, but that's another story I'll be So you go in there. Hi, how you doing, so-and-so, Mr. Chipotle manager? I am a permaculture designer. I am a farmer, okay? 
I want to make compost out of the things you throw in the dumpster. Don't tell them you're going to feed it to your animals, but you're not lying either. Because everything you do in the rental dumpster system, I can't believe it's me going on. <laughs> it wasn't me. Somebody else. <laughs> so, anyway, so what you do, you go in there, you dress for the part. You don't go in there wearing a business suit, don't do any of that stuff, but you better have a collar on and ideally have your name and your logo on your shirt. Don't wear anything offensive like somebody's wearing up on the stage right now or could be potentially offensive to somebody from a leftist tradition. You don't go in there wearing something. I mean, I wear shirts like John's shirts and like the shirts we make. I wear shirts that make a statement for a whole variety of reasons. Another conversation. But you go in there with everything. Don't wear cologne if you're a guy. Because the woman you may be dealing with, there's nothing more evocative than smells. Okay? The cologne you wear might be what her husband who ran off with a go-go dancer used to wear. So don't do that. Don't do anything that's going to be negatively evocative to the person you want to deal with, okay? You go in there and you tell them, hey, I'm a farmer. I want to take all your food scraps, and this is a clip notes. Basically, I want to take all the stuff you're throwing away in that dumpster, and I want to make compost out of it. Like I said, you tell them you're going to feed it to your pigs and chickens, they're going to tell you no, and they will say it emphatically. But you're not lying either because everything in the permaculture system should be compost. There's no waste. And plus, everything I stick in that compost cage in this system is in a compost cage, right? So you dig? I mean, this is this simple. So that's how you approach these people when it's a business. Okay, schools. People are saying, how do I do that? This is even easier. Okay, if you've got a college around, everybody wants to be deep these days. Go to the college administrator. Tell them the same thing. Hey. I am a permaculture designer. I am helping to make this a wonderful world. And we are. But you go in there and you play the role. I might even add a list to it a little bit, you know? I might even swagger, you know, go in there and sashay a little bit. You know, show a little Betty coat. Go in there. And also, you know, being the color I am also helps, I hate to say this. <laughs> free coffee, go to Asheville with me. <laughs> They're falling over themselves. There was a fruitcake. I won't even get into it. <laughs> I go in there and they're literally falling over themselves. So if you don't have me, get somebody. This is going to sound nice. <laughs> Recruit a black guy. <laughs> Recruit a brown guy. Say, look, pay them. Because the money, I mean, honestly, go in there and say, look, dude, I've got this wad of bacon. Get a homeless person. Go in there, do whatever you've got to do. You're just trying to get, this is going to pay dividends in ways you can't even imagine. Better still, if you don't have a black guy, don't have a Mexican, get a woman. Get a woman. Get a woman. Look, y'all, I'm, I'm being realist. Look, I know that I've been given, given liberty to speak. I can say things here that ordinarily I can't get away with, okay? Tell them, keep it lit, keep it real. Have a woman go in there and do it. Seriously, a woman is disarming. Especially for a man, if he's sitting on the other side of that desk. A woman is disarming. You really are, okay? So, I was going to say one messed up joke, <laughs> So back to the chicken tractor on steroids. Look, at the end of the day, you're wanting to build soil. The genius, Jeff Lawton, which he's interviewed more times than anybody in this room, 
has done more. He said, my son is, he was his apprentice for a while in Polytechnic, not Polytechnic, but uh, Zaytuna, okay? What did Jeff Lawton tell you about compost, son? I mean, as far as life. Basically, a lot of, we kept asking, like, what can we put in the compost box? Can we put this in there? Can we put that in there? And then he finally got fed up and said, if it is lived, you can live it, you can, it can live again through compost. So anything that has ever lived can be put in compost. I mean, he's even putting crude oil in compost. So, okay, don't yeah. do that. <laughs> and, and that, well, the, you can. The, yeah. the crude oil, it, it's a very small amount and it helps create the uh, gel aspect of compost. So it is highly beneficial if you can get crude oil or even used oil and like a very little amount. Don't go dumping a gallon in there or anything like that. Right, but that said, y'all, the point being is at the end of the day, look at the times we live in. And I've been preaching this from this YouTube channel as high as I can. And I've been begging people long before what we see going on unfolding right now. We're seeing things that are unprecedented, meaning there is no precedent, okay? That's what it means when you hear that thrown all the way around. Right. The last time you walked in, look, I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you a messed up stat and I'm going to empower you, okay? That's what I'm here to do, okay? Look, during the Great Depression, at that time, we had 90% lived rurally, 10% lived in the city, okay? Now those numbers are flipped. 10% live rurally, and of that 10%, less than 1% are self-sufficient. So if that, were, if that calamity were to unfold right now, we lost 8 to 10 million people through starvation during that time. What do you think those numbers could be like now? So we better start, we better get loose or get lost. And what I mean is, we've been teaching systems like this, systems like how to raise your pigs. We raise our pigs for 21 cents a pound. Everybody thinks I'm lying. We had to give away pigs. That's, what we, that's the position we are in right now. Chickens, last butchery, we gave them all away. We didn't even have room for it. We're producing in this system, or were, because we switched it up a little bit, we are producing, this is legit, y'all, we are producing over the last winter, in the time when this system shouldn't work, 21 cubic yards of compost passively. Chickens did 90% of it. The benefit of a system like this, are you going to have to put your hands on it and clip this pole of these compost piles? Yeah, but in an 18-day compost, which we just got finished doing on our YouTube channel, you put your hands on it nine to 10 times, maybe more. Within this system, you flip it four times. So you may get a cubic yard of compost in a month in an 18-day system, but you put your hands on it 18 times, or sorry, nine times. This system, you only put your hands on it four times in a month. So which system is a better utilization of your time? It's clearly this, okay? But then also having the chickens interact with the compost is gonna produce a better compost because they're constantly going in there, pecking through it, shredding and mixing everything together. If you do an 18 day compost pile, like a traditional one, you're gonna have like clumps of cow manure or horse manure or whatever you're using in there. So it's not fully incorporated or you're gonna to have to do it yourself. The chickens are all doing it themselves in this pile just by feeding themselves. Right, so in an 18-day compost pile, which we do all the time when it makes sense, take the right dog to the hunt. So there's cold compost, 18-day compost, and 30-day compost, which comes out of this system. Okay, the difference is, I only put my hands on that pitchfork four times per pile. How cool is that? In a month, 18-day system, you put your hands on it nine times, maybe more, if you're not him. Because he is... 
I'm the permaculture picnic, he's the compost picnic. Pastor Ray's pen. <laughs> <laughs> so, there we go. If you want to know chapter and verse, we have playlists. Look, we don't make any money off of this. It's We saw these times coming. Like the Bible says, the sons of Issachar saw the signs of the times and they made preparation for them. That's why we've been evangelizing this sublime system, permaculture, chicken tractor on steroids, raising pigs, our pork for 21 cents a pound, raising our cows for free, raising our sheep for free. It can be done. This isn't pie in the sky stuff. We do it. And we're teaching everybody how to do it. I'm trying to scream. That's why when the butchery class yesterday, Nicole should have charged for the same class three times as much. They intentionally didn't do that to make it more accessible. Okay? There's a lot of money we could charge for a lot of the things we've innovated and created and, you know, advanced. We don't do it because it's a better blessing to all of us in this room if we had that conversation one to another. Drop our idiotic differences. And like I said yesterday when the conversation with somebody else, you know, and that's the beauty of being congregated in a place like this. It's like Benjamin Franklin said in the Second Constitutional Convention. Now, it's going to fly in the face of everything we hear today. Whenever you assemble a number of people to have the advantage of their joint wisdom, you inevitably assemble with those people all of their passions, their prejudices, their errors of opinion, their local interests, their selfish views. From such an assembly can a perfect production be expected? So it therefore astonishes me to see it arise so near to perfection as it does. And I think it will astonish our enemies who are waiting with confidence to hear that our councils are as confounded as the builders of battle. He said that in the Second Constitutional Convention. We're in no different place than we are today. I mean, it's the exact same place. Okay, from a historical standpoint, that's where we are. So, if we can bear that, if we can take these differences, these idiotic differences that the powers that shouldn't be tell us that we ought to have, if I can stand up here in front of you doing something that makes me, frankly, as nervous as R. Kelly is standing outside of the daycare. <laughs> if I can do that to try and evangelize this sublime system, this permaculture, then honestly, it changed my life for the better. It really has. But this system in particular can do the same for you, but it isn't a panacea. It isn't a put your cows out here and be done with it. There is no system in permaculture where you write yourself out of it unless it is a... Anybody know what that is? Wilderness. There you go, zone five. And to a certain extent, and to a certain extent, a um, food force, where eventually you, you have minimal interaction with it. So you're never gonna write yourself out of it completely, but the more you rely on systems like this, the more it requires out of you. Okay, so you're gonna have to put, put the button in a system like this. So I guess I'm done monologuing. The main point I wanted to make is if you do go to the playlist and want to follow the system and stuff like that, stick to the recipe first and then make variations if you need to. But seriously, stick to the recipe first because we've gotten comments saying, hey, I did the chicken checker on steroids, but I changed this, 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 and this, and it's not working. It was like, well, you changed the main component. You got rid of compost, you did all this other stuff, and it didn't work. So focus on just the recipe first. He's right. Now, if you doubt me, Go to Food Network. I like to cook. I like to do a lot of barbecue like a lot of guys out there. If you doubt me, go to, go to Food Network look at any recipe. You can do it right now if you want. I guarantee you're going to find this out. Any negative reviews of every recipe, look at what they said. 
Well, I know you wanted butter, but I used margarine. I know you wanted this. They changed components of the recipe. You didn't make the recipe, so you can't criticize. It's like the bone sauce we sell over here. The guy tells me, oh, well, I bought this bone sauce from somebody else. But by the way, I didn't invent. We just made it better, okay? Um, these people are telling me, hey, you know, we did this, this, and this. Well, you changed 50% of the components. Do the recipe. It's important. Okay, so I guess I've rambled on enough. Hopefully I've given you enough impetus to go out there, look at the playlist. I'm not driving anybody to my YouTube channel. What is it? I'm, I'm sorry? What is the YouTube channel? Farm. And the playlist is uh, Chicken Chacker on steroids. And we've done it with meat birds. This is, nobody on this planet has done this system in more detail. The only thing we haven't done in this system are uh, Cornish cross birds. So anybody thinks you're going to do that in the system, I got I got news for you. It ain't going to happen. You did do it with uh, Freedom, with freedom, the freedom Rangers. Rangers. Yeah, and that those birds are awesome. The they, but here's another thing within that system. If you want to get the full bang for your buck, now you can use any bird in this system. If you're going to harvest those, those birds, those roosters, and put them in your freezer, get them out of there in 16 weeks because that's when the testosterone starts showing up. Okay? They're not only going to be fighting to a certain extent, but the meat's going to be not as tender as you'd like. Okay, so we raise our birds, when you do it in the system, you do it more like a French wood. Okay, so I know there's questions out there. Anybody? So, um, I kind of made a flow chart. It looks a little bit complicated, um, but we'll walk through it. It's actually quite simple and quite, I think it's elegant. I like it. I like simple and elegant. So we have four categories of things, and I only have three colors, so um, it's not nearly as clear. But we have food, we have profit, we have resources, and we have fertility. A lot of people um, have a slightly wrong mindset. We have garbage. No, no, no. Those are resources, or that's fertility. Trash is not necessarily always trash. Trash can sometimes be money. Um, if we are paying to purchase something and bring it into our sphere of influence, we have just traded energy for energy. And if part of that energy that we just traded for and sent out of our control, our wealth, um, is embodied in the form of the trash or the garbage, the manure, um, we don't want to get rid of that and let it leave our system without capturing it utilizing it and making it return energy back into our control. So we don't think of manure as, uh, as garbage. We think of manure as, um, as a resource, that's fertility. So um, back to the what are your critters going to eat? The linchpin that I found in all of these systems the vast majority of them are herbivores, or if they're not, they're omnivores like chickens and ducks, and we can still um, produce all the food that they need very cheaply and very easily if, if we have the supporting elements already in place. And that, my friends, are fodder trees. I don't know if you've ever heard of tree hay or chaff hay. Um, there's an old technology that goes back. Literally, we have historical documentation um, of people using trees 
as livestock feed for I think 4,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, 6,000, I can't remember exactly what it was. It's like as old as backgammon, which is the oldest game known to man. Water trees. These are any trees that we can feed to our livestock. Now, some livestock are a little bit more high maintenance, like horses and some things that will just die if they eat. But um, for most of our herbivores, like cattle, sheep, and goats, they can eat just about anything. Even the poisonous things, they can eat a little bit of it and not suffer any ill effects. Um, but we can find some fodder trees that are safe for all of those animals, including horses and humans. So some of these fodder trees, like the king of all fodder trees, in my opinion, is white mulberry. It has been developed for a couple thousand years in China to be a highly digestible, high-protein leaf content to feed to silkworms. Um, so they have done the work for you, so let's not reinvent the wheel and try and find something better. We know that it's fantastic. We're talking about in the springtime, um, who here has livestock? Animals, chickens, just about everybody, all right? The, the protein target we're normally shooting for is between 12 and 18%, right in that range. You know, does anyone know how much uh, digestible protein uh, content white mulberry has in the springtime? Anybody? 30. 30, 35, as much as, I've seen analysis as high as 38% protein. That's amazing. Um, that, is, that is way too high to be feeding that exclusively. So we need to think about these fodder trees as almost like you're growing alfalfa. Anyone buy alfalfa pellets, 17% protein? Yeah, it's expensive. Alfalfa pellets are expensive. Um, we can grow and, and cut. I believe the numbers are, um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think I remember seeing a study done that showed with uh, industrial harvesting you could actually get more tonnage of digestible protein per acre out of white mulberry than you could alfalfa. That's a big deal. Now, so when we're talking about from a homestead perspective, you're not gonna be going out there using a combine or a big old tractor to harvest alfalfa. If you're growing alfalfa for your animals, you'd be doing it by hand. Well, we can grow these fodder trees and harvest them by hand pretty simply, pretty easily. So. Let's look at these uh, fruit and fodder trees. This is our, the backbone of our whole system. This is our recycling system. Um, we are recycling everything in this whole system back unto itself. That means all of that energy, all that material wealth, we are putting right back into the system to build more fertility. We're taking that paycheck and instead of going and blowing it on a night on the town, we are investing it and we are returning it back to our wallet. And then it's gonna pay us a dividend, and it's gonna pay us a dividend, and our wallet's getting fatter and fatter, and that's what we want, that's called wealth. Wealth is not how much money you have, it is how long you can go without having to do something you don't want to do. I am wealthy. I don't have two or three Porsches 
sitting in my field. Like some, <laughs> some people would not. But I can go a long time without having to do something that I don't want to do. So fruit and fodder trees, what do they produce? They produce mulch. When we prune them, the branches can go as mulch. We can feed the branches to our animals. Um, what do we do with the mulch? We can return that mulch to our chicken compost or back to the fruit and fodder trees, and we can also put it on our garden. Uh, the fruit and fodder trees, they produce fruit. We can sell that as a profit, or we can just eat it, we can preserve it, we can trade that for other things. And they make leaves, and leaves, that's where it's at. So people kind of sometimes have a hard time grasping how this works. Think of it like a lawn, like a pasture. Well, how often can you cut them? That's like asking, how often can I cut my lawn? It depends. Did you just put a whole bunch of nitrogen out there and it just rained five inches this week and it's growing like gangbusters? Well, that's going to change the rate at which you can harvest. We want to treat these trees. They're plants. Grass, plants. Trees, plants. They're the same thing. They just look a little different. Um, so we just we give them a haircut and we let them regrow and then we give them a haircut and we let them regrow. If you go out there and you scalp your lawn or your pasture and you take it down to bare dirt, it's going to take a long time for those plants to recover and rebuild sugars and starches in their roots so that they don't die. Same thing with these trees. So as long as we're just gentle with them and we give them a haircut, we don't scalp them, they'll keep producing and producing and producing. Coppiced and pollarded, those are kind of the two technical terms for managing trees like this. There are uh, coppiced and pollarded trees that are uh, hundreds and hundreds of years old, well past their natural lifespan, because cutting them like this returns them to a juvenile state. It's like, it's like the, the uh, everlasting spring or whatever that, whatever that legend was. It, uh, it returns them to youth. And so they will just live for years and years and years. They'll outlive you and your grandkids and your grandkids' grandkids as long as they are being harvested and managed well. So that is our backbone. This is our, you know, people say you can't grow money on trees. No, sir. No, says I. You can grow money on trees. That is money. Um, we can put that through a, an herbivore like rabbits in this instance. I like rabbits. I have livestock guardian dogs. I breed livestock guardian dogs. Um, and they like to eat lots of food. They're big dogs. I don't like buying dog food. I think most commercial dog food is garbage and it's expensive garbage. Um, until recently, um, most dog food was more expensive per pound than human food. Seriously, I used to buy chicken leg quarters in 10 pound bags to feed my dogs because it was cheaper than actual dog food, the cheap dog food. So I can feed my rabbits to my dogs and rabbits breed like rabbits. <laughs> if I can feed my rabbits for free from my fodder trees, what do I have now? Free dog, free dog food. I have free 24 seven, 365 security detail protecting my animals, 
and my family. If I'm asleep, they're protecting my family. They're protecting my animals. And all I have to do is harvest some rabbits. I have to cut some branches, feed them to my rabbits, and then I train my dogs to take a rabbit that was just killed, not dressed, not cleaned, just killed cervical dislocation, toss it over the fence, and my job is done. That is very quick and easy. Five seconds, and I have fed my dogs for the day. Well, it takes about 10 to 30 seconds a week to feed my dogs with rabbits. Not to take care of the rabbits, but to actual do the job and toss them over the fence to the dogs. Rabbits. Um, you could uh, switch out rabbits for guinea pigs. When I was in Ecuador, I ate cooey. It's guinea pig. It's actually pretty good. Um, there is actually some argument to be made for uh, guinea pigs being more productive and easier to raise and less of a hassle than rabbits. So you might want to look into that. I'm going to be raising guinea pigs uh, either this year or next for that purpose. I want to try it. Um, they produce excellent meat. Has anyone ever priced rabbit? Do you know how much, how much does it cost per pound? Ten ninety nine. I've seen thirteen twenty dollars a pound. You know, I do this kind of stuff because I enjoy it, but I can't afford to pay twenty dollars a pound, thirteen dollars a pound for a rabbit, and have some fran fancy French cuisine stuff. That meat's free. A trio of rabbits can produce literally hundreds of pounds of meat a year. For, for how much money? Nothing. Hundreds of pounds of meat. We can sell breeding stock. Guess what next year is going to bring? A whole heck of a lot of people that have fled the city who are looking to get into homesteading stuff and they say, well, I need chickens and I need rabbits. Well, guess what? If I've got 50 rabbits that are ready to start breeding and ready to send out the door, I've got cash on the hoof. You can sell them for pets. You could, if you are just really tender-hearted and you can't stand the idea of killing a rabbit or eating a rabbit, that's totally fine. You could get Rex or Lop or whatever pet rabbits, and you could just raise them and feed them this excellent food, and then sell pets. You don't have to kill any animals. This actually is vegan friendly. I'm not, I'm a carnivore, but if that's your jam, hey, this still works. Um, the manure, we can take the manure from the rabbits, we can drop it directly into an earthworm bin and have no cleaning, no maintenance. They're putting all of their waste directly into a recycling system. That could be earthworms or it could be black soldier fly larvae. Um, we can actually dry the rabbit manure and feed that dried rabbit manure to um, mealworms. Mealworms normally grow best and produce the best on, uh, on wheat bran and rice bran. They do best on that. They produce at about 50% of the rate on rabbit pellets. That brand is expensive. The rabbit pellets be free. 
So we can raise insects to feed our, uh, our chickens, our ducks, our geese. Uh, black soldier fly larva is, uh, I think, 40% protein, 10% fat. Nutrition packed. They're high in calcium. That is, it is a perfect chicken food. They will auto-harvest. Look it up, I'm not gonna get really into it. Um, they will migrate away from their food source and migrate straight into a bucket and harvest themselves for you. You can feed what you need to feed fresh, you can take the rest, and you can put them in a freezer for 10, 20 minutes, freeze them, they're dead, and you can take those frozen worms and toss them in a solar dehydrator and then preserve them for the winter. Free food. Um, earthworms, same thing. Um, they're a little bit more time intensive, a little bit slower growing, um, but almost, almost set it and forget it. You just need a little bit of uh, carbon material like sawdust or something like that that you can add to it because the, the rabbit urine is really caustic and you need to suck up some of that nitrogen somehow. Um, but from this, this uh, insect system, we have, we can sell, we can take a profit. We can export some of our energy and transform it into USD or Bitcoin. Um, and we can take a profit and we can sell some bait. Um, we can sell castings or the insect manure is called grass. Um, we can sell the, the worm poop. It's really expensive. It's amazing in your gardens and stuff. It's great for starting seeds. It is, it is one of the quintessential fertility amendments in the world. I think it is fan fantastic. Um, one of the, the byproducts of this, one of the trash items is you're gonna have too much moisture in those bins. It needs to drain out and that makes worm tea. You could drop that worm tea directly into a 55 gallon drum with an aerator, just pumping some air through it, keeping it aerated, keeping it from going anoxic, anaerobic, and you're making earthworm compost tea. You could put, they make uh, injectors that basically suck out one, one gallon per 16 gallons of flow through. It's just a little more brass fitting with a tube. That tube could go right into this, this worm tea thing, and then every time your irrigation kicks on to run a sprinkler, you're automatically fertigating your garden space. I guarantee if you set something like this up, a few years down the road, it might take about five to seven years, depending on how garbage your soil is, you will get to a point where your garden is so fertile, you have to stop adding fertility amendments to it. You actually have to mine the soil to make sure it does not go toxic towards the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. These insects are scavengers of potassium, uh, of phosphorus, sorry. And uh, there's actually legit concern about peak phosphorus. We are mining out our, uh, our hard phosphorus sources, and it's actually a concern. Um, we can, uh, so that's our automated fertigation. Uh, let's jump right back up here to the chicken compost. So those insects can come to our compost yard. So, you know, most people frown at the idea of a, a coop and run, 
um, we can use the, the keep and run system and we can improve it and we can have some deep bedding, we can protect it from rainwater so that we can moderate and manage the moisture content so that it doesn't get too wet or too dry. And um, we can manage this compost yard and just go in there periodically. Um, maybe we run the chickens out and we put some pigs in there for an afternoon and they root it all up and then we get the pigs out and they do all the work for you. That's wonderful. I love having, I love letting animals do what they want to do and let them do all of my work for me. And then make me pork chops and lamb chops and eggs and stuff. Um, the chickens will be super happy just grinding this stuff up, scratching it, shredding it, instead of you standing there with hearing protection and eyeglass, you know, eye protection and taking stuff and just ramming it through this gas guzzling machine that chips stuff up and shreds stuff up. You could just toss the stuff in there and let the chickens do the work for you and they'll be happy and content doing it. Um, they'll make tons, they'll make yards of compost a week if you have enough stuff coming into this. Um, so we have compost um, out of our garden. You know, if you're gardening, you're gonna have issues where you have, I've got a little bit of blossom end rot or something got into this tomato, you know, it's right on the back end and there's a big fat green worm just hollowing out the tomato. I didn't see it until I went to pick it. Oh, that's garbage. I'm not gonna, I've got 10 more tomatoes and I'm not gonna be able to eat this week anyway. So that's trash, right? Nope, that goes into a bucket. Everything, the rule on my homestead is, if it can turn into dirt, it goes to the chickens. When we're frying up some bacon and we save that, uh, I'm into essential oils. Um, that bacon grease, that's essential oils to me. Um, we save that bacon grease and then, you know, it's a little bit kind of too brown and charred on there to put your, you know, to fry up your eggs in there. So you'll scrape that a little bit and you'll just have that, you know, it's like almost black and just charcoal-y. I don't want that in my eggs. So I'll take a paper towel or whatever and I'll wipe it up. Are the chickens gonna eat that? Nope. Can it turn into dirt? Yes, sir. So that goes in the bucket. All of the garbage, all of the trash, the eggshells get crushed and just tossed in the bucket. Everything that can turn into dirt. If we harvest a chicken, and my wife makes an amazing gumbo. She's from Louisiana, she makes amazing gumbo. Um, what do we do with all the bones? Are the chickens gonna eat them? Nope. Can they turn into dirt? Yeah. They go in the bucket. Everything goes in the bucket and it comes to the compost yard and it gets tossed in there. The chickens are going to eat what they want to eat. They're going to leave the rest and the rest is just going to turn into dirt. All that compost gets returned to our garden until our garden cannot handle it. And unless you're doing market gardening, you're going to hit that point. And then what do we do? All that compost, we use what we can, what we need to, all the rest of it goes right back to our fruit and fodder trees. And you're going to get to a point where that system is so productive that you don't even need you lose So I wanted to come at this with just a few areas in your life today instead of going deep dive into one of them. I wanted to start with food production. And I want to tell you what I've learned about food production because I'm what you call a permaculture masochist. Like this is the worst property you can find to grow your shit. Let us buy that one. 
That's what I do. And I live in a place very hot, very thin soils, rock shoal. When I say rock, I know some of you guys, you dig a garden and then you pull a rock out. I don't mean that. I mean slab. Like we don't have foundation problems where I live. Everybody around us does because of the clay soils. Our houses, they put a foundation in, it never moves. It's, it's a place that used to be the great inland sea and it's a limestone shelf and I have places where there's that much soil on my property. So if I tell you something works there, it'll probably work anywhere. Is Nick Ferguson in here? Nick, I told Nick I planted something and he, he said, well, yeah, that, those things never die, but you planted it here. That's your problem, right? So the number one thing that I have discovered that you can produce for food at home that's the easiest thing to produce on any land is meat and animal products. So whether that's ducks and, and geese and chickens like we do for eggs, or it's browsing animals and ruminants like sheep or goats or cattle or pigs that you combine with pasture. That's the easiest thing to do. And it's where I recommend actually that you start just zone one design. What does a chicken need? What does a duck need? What does a, a cow need to not die? That's actually the first, you don't go track the supply, bring all the little peeping chickens home and go, gee, what do we do? Which is what most people do, right? Um, and then, then you can actually start to restore ecosystems. So I do have a slide deck here that I, I can't put up in here because of the lighting, but this is the actual one slide I wish you guys could see because I am gonna beat you up in a little bit about health and nutrition, Canberry style. But I also think that there's an ecological lesson in this. And it's what Ken was talking about yesterday for those who heard his talk about the megafauna that we lost here. The picture that I have on this screen is some of the camels that he was talking about that walk around here. And the biggest camel, the dude comes to his withers, the human scale size. And the eye of that camel is about the top of where a backboard would be on a, on a full-size basketball goal. That's what walked around here. Those were ruminants, they lived on grass systems. And this is what humans ate, and it's what we should be eating. Even my, my wife, we were watching a show called La Brea, where these people ended up like, traveled back in time like 12,000 years or something like that and they're trying to figure out what plants to eat and stuff and this giant sloth like the size of an elephant goes walking through and she's like eat that stupid <laughs> of course they didn't because it's Hollywood right but we're supposed to eat meat but then there's another thing that happens and you learned about it from Billy yesterday animals produce waste waste is composted it's living and living again now we can go for and even like my but we can also completely restore ecosystems so I don't think I'm in a position where like a third of the people here are vegan like the last couple times I did this. So I don't have to be as gentle, but you cannot restore broad scale ecosystems without ruminants. You can't do it. You can restore forest systems, but there are a lot of our climate type that are not supposed to be forest systems, They're supposed to be plains. And the plains in the United States were on the edge of death and then we pushed it over when we wiped out the bison. If you look at the way the United States is, you have forest on both sides, east and west coast. And when I say coast, I mean like all the way in, including where we are in the mountains. And then you have the Great Plains going up the middle. If you look up historic bison migration routes, guess where the bison went back and forth? From Texas up into western Canada and parts of Alaska and back down, back and forth. And they maintain that savanna system. The savanna ecosystem, or in our case, savanna mimic, which is what John's doing right there, the most productive soil building you can do. 
And we screwed this place up, North America, in a combination of things. Part of it was mankind, removing the bison, but the other part was this great cataclysm that took away our megafauna. Humans didn't do that. But we're unique in that we can fix it. And we fix it with grazing animals. We fix it with pastured animals. That area John's working on right there, that was like rock, right? Like it was, and he's, and he's keep adding all these wood chips and stuff to it, but he's using the animals as well. Right now there's enough fertility there. If we all left, John left, moved somewhere else, and nobody touches that again, what do you think is going to happen to that piece of land right there? There's, there's two things that could happen. One, there's enough fertility there and enough catchment there to keep everything from eroding, and the forest will just eat it. Or it will become a wash, and it will be a glade in a forest, but it will never be productive. Anybody ever walk through a forest, you see a place there's just nothing growing, and it's just because there's so much erosion, nothing can grow? Right? That's, it's going to do one of those two things. My gut would be right now, the forest, there's enough fertility here, the forest would just eat this. And that's the way it's kind of supposed to be in the eastern and western United States unless we're settling it, but the center is supposed to be plants. How do we maintain those plants right now? Tractors, row crops, yeah. If we turn those into growing, uh, grazing systems, we'll restore all this, some people are out carbon sinks and whatever, the grasses in the Great Plains, they have root systems that go 30 feet deep, the perennial grass systems. How drought resistant is grass with a 30 foot root system? Pretty much like, we're good, but we need those ruminants. So just from an ecological standpoint, we need to be doing what John's showing you how to do right here. And you can do it on a small piece of property like this or a large one. When it comes to your gardens and stuff, grow high ROI plants. Tomatoes and cucumbers and all, if you want to grow some because it's easy, do it. But what's expensive at the grocery store? Your mixed, yes, asparagus, yeah, right? Mixed greens. Price? Organic or beyond organic mixed salad greens by the pound. It's very expensive. And that's like Ken very approved. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Grow hardy perennials, herbs, wild things that require minimal management. If it's a weed and it grows on your, ha on your property by itself, encourage it if it's, if it's useful and discourage it if it's not. It's basic gilding. Everybody thinks that gilding and permaculture is where we plant like these nine plants together because the book said to. Funny thing about plants, they don't read books, they don't give a shit. <laughs> Gilding is simply that we advantage that which we want to the disadvantage of that which we don't want, and we let nature take its course with our guidance. The other thing you want to do, grow climate-appropriate, disease-resistant annuals. I said, like, cucumbers can be easy to grow, but, like, if you live in a place like I do where, like, cucumber mosaic virus is just everywhere, Grow hybrids. Don't worry about the fact that it's not, you know, that's not a GMO. Grow the thing that's resistant or don't grow the thing at all. It, it, it really makes the most sense because that way you're not wasting your time. And barter and sell your surplus. So if you have a neighbor that's really good at growing something you can't, get it from them. Find something you can exchange. Everybody will take money, Bitcoin, etc., or whatever you can grow. But my big thing is take the surplus that you have and use it to generate income to buy what you can't produce or don't want to produce. Who here drinks coffee? Does anybody here live in the tropics? You're going to buy coffee. Get it from the cult. She's going to buy it from the tropics and she's going to roast it for you. But maybe the cult doesn't want your tomatoes or your surplus beef or your surplus pork or your surplus chicken. But maybe your neighbors do and they will give you money. And since Nicole likes money, she will send you coffee, right? 
Make even your hobbies pay for themselves. So I grow goldfish and koi and stuff like that. You know, you could sell one goldfish for 50 bucks a year and pay for all the feed for the rest of your fish. You just have to know marketing. You call it an Asian heirloom carp, you put it on Craigslist, you sell it to a yuppie, and you just what? You know, 100 pounds of fish food for the year. Like, think like that. I'm not saying to do that particular thing, but think that way. Money and banking. I know some of you, like, you think cryptocurrency is a scam, Bitcoin's a scam. It's been here over 10 years, guys. It's not going away. This is a good time to get involved. But all I want to do for this today is, is drive two things, or three things off. One, you should have some of your wealth held in Bitcoin, period. And you should learn how to get it off an exchange. That means don't let Coinbase or Strike or Coin, uh, CoinEx or Bittrex or whatever holds your money. Has anybody here heard, like, when it comes to cloud computing, there's no cloud? That's just your data on somebody else's computer. Yeah, there is no, you don't hold on an exchange. It's somebody else's wallet. The whole point is to be your own bank. That means you don't have a bank. That means you hold your own wealth. So get it off the exchange. But I also want to cover, like, how easy it is actually to do business because of something called the Lightning Network. And I owe Nicole money, so she's going to come up here, and I'm going to send her money two ways. First, I am going, I have, if I remember my own password, I have about 50 bucks, United States dollars, in strike, not in the form of Bitcoin. And Nicole, do you take Bitcoin? I do take Bitcoin. She takes Bitcoin. So I'm going to send her US dollars here, and I'm going to send her $50. Next, confirm. And that's a standard Bitcoin transaction, except that I didn't send Bitcoin. I sent US dollars, she's going to get Bitcoin. So there's no you know, evil capital gains to calculate in there or something like that. Right? But she's going to wait about 10 minutes to get that Bitcoin. But now, I owe you more money than that, don't I? <laughs> I have to pay her. Right? So I'm going to send her using Lightning. What else do I owe you? 70 bucks? 70 bucks. OK, so you put in $70, not 70 Bitcoin, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. So I, I'm going to send her. I tried to get several million dollars in Bitcoin for my watch. Seventy done. Pay. Let's put my code in. Okay, so she now that seventy dollar transaction she has right now. It's done. It's done. Like okay. she already has the money with Bitcoin, and the fee was about a penny, which you didn't even pay. Right. You got exactly what I sent. For both of those things to happen, this is what you need. This is all I want to give you on Bitcoin. Today. You, the Lightning Network network needs liquidity. The translation that means there has to be a certain amount of Bitcoin locked up in that network. We all know there's only 21 million Bitcoin. This is a way to do instantaneous cross-border transactions with no fees or very, very, very small fees. Who here runs a business that takes like Visa, Mastercard, etc.? How much do those bastards take out of every transaction from you guys? Too much. 3%, right? So as a vendor, if you can, and by the way, when I sent her dollars and she got Bitcoin, I could have sent her Bitcoin and she could have got dollars. Or I could have sent her dollars and she got dollars. Or I could have sent her Canadian dollars and she got US dollars. Or I could have sent her Euros and she could have got US dollars. Because the transaction actually goes across the Lightning Network with Bitcoin, even if we're receiving different things on the ends. 
If you want to take 2% of the cross-border transactions in the world, you need about a half a trillion dollars locked up in Lightning. Guess how much the market cap of Bitcoin is right now? A half a trillion dollars. Bitcoin is the gas that makes all that work. So if you don't want to own any of the other stuff, here's the, here's the formula to build wealth with Bitcoin in your life. Stack sats and put yourself in a freaking coma. Just dollar cost average in. I had more on crypto, but that's all I'm going to talk about. I want to move on to healthcare. This is where we're going to get a little bloody. And then eventually when enough of us can do that, we have the strength in numbers, perhaps we can declare our independence, right? I share that with people and they're like, wait a second. Klaus Schwab said we'll own nothing and be happy. How could we possibly own land if this crazy oligarch said we can't do it, right? Or like, what about uh, the property taxes? They're gonna take our land if we don't pay, blah, 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 blah. It's like, why are you coming up with objections to your own success? How about instead of thinking about ways that it can't work, you focus on the ways that it is working now, right? So I just want to have people have a level of consciousness, right? We have this thoughts going on in our head, like this internal monologue. Sometimes it's a dialogue. Who has thoughts in their head? Anybody? I read an article once. I was like, some people, some people don't have the soundtrack in their head. I was like, that'd be weird. That's like some Buddhism. Pretty quit. peaceful. <laughs> Must be pretty boring. Does anybody not have an internal yeah. soundtrack in their head? Like your shirt, man. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Right on. What's he smoking? I want some of that. Some good shit. Uh, anyway, so the, a lot of times that internal soundtrack, our inner voice, it works against us. It's our own worst enemy. And what I want to encourage people to know is that you can reprogram that inner voice to be your biggest champion. And through mindfulness, which is just being present in the moment, just being, being able to recognize things in the moment, you can catch those thought patterns that aren't serving you and you can interrupt them and you can flip the script. And instead of saying, I'm, I, I'm too old to understand cryptocurrency, I could hardly even use a computer, you say, while it may be a challenge for me to use these technologies, I feel confident in my ability to learn and I'm gonna start learning today. Can you guys commit to doing that? Just being a little more mindful of those thought patterns in our head and whenever we have a limiting belief, recognizing that, interrupting it, I like to say, wash it away. That's what I tell my daughter. She's like, Dad, I can't sleep. I'm having all these scary thoughts. I say, it's okay. Just recognize them. Wash them away, right? You guys commit to do that with me? Because really, it makes a world of difference, I promise. All right. Okay. All right. So that's the mindset piece. Another big piece of the mindset is to think big. Think big. And what I envision for our community is true sovereignty. Creating an environment where we operate outside of the legacy financial institutions, outside of the government, the government schools, the pharmaceutical industrial complex, where we can have true freedom. I want that for myself, I want it for my family, and I want it for each and every one of you. And so some people think we can just maybe make the government a little bit better, or we can experience freedom just out in the woods on our little bug out property. No, I want an environment where we have genuine freedom, where people don't have to fight so hard in order to experience a state of existence that we all deserve by nature of our free, our free, our freedom, our freedom, our sovereignty, our inherent sovereignty as free people, right? So let's think big. Let's project into the future. Let's imagine a world where we don't have a government that affects us anymore. Maybe those guys can keep their government. I'm not a smash the state, overthrow the government kind of guy, because frankly, a lot of people love government. They're terrified to death at the idea of total freedom and responsibility. 
So let them have their government, let them do their dog and pony show, but we're gonna do something different over here. So when it comes to mindset, let us envision a bigger future and let's work towards that future. Now I'm gonna spend some time talking about the strategy piece and we're gonna get into the financial aspect. Has anybody heard of CBDCs, central bank digital currencies? All right, so a lot of folks are familiar with the traditional tyranny that we've all, the, tr the tyranny we grew up with, the income tax, police state, onerous regulations, you can't do this, the nanny state type of stuff, right? The wars. Well, there's this new type of tyranny called technocracy. Does anybody know what the word technocracy means? It's essentially rule by scientific dictatorship. It's a different form of government where you don't have elected officials that govern you. You have the experts and the elites, and really it's the oligarchs, right? There's this entity called the Great Reset, Sorry, the World Economic Forum. You guys familiar with the World Economic Forum? It's got Klaus Schwab. They're like, we want to have a great reset of society, and COVID-19 created the perfect opportunity for us to reset everything, reset the financial systems, reset the relationship people have with government, reset the way people do business. These guys essentially want to usher in a technocratic, dystopian future where the surveillance institutions, the surveillance society basically tracks and trace and controls every single bit of our lives. That's what they want for us. I got news for you. They're well advanced in this agenda. I've been doing this for 20 years and I started off because I saw 9-11, Building 7, all that stuff. I was like, wait a second, what? What's going on here? And that started me on a journey. But back in the day, we're like, we got to do all we can so the new world order doesn't come about. They're creating this new world order. We got to stop it. And now after COVID, it's like, wow. The new world order is here, and it ain't pretty, right? And somebody's a new normal. You can keep your new normal shirt. That's what it's all about. The vaccine passport agenda is a big piece of it. Global digital identity is a big piece of it. And central bank digital currencies are a big piece of it. What is the central bank digital currency? Well, we have these central banks, right? These institutions that create money out of thin air. They try to regulate prices and market. In reality, there's enriching their friends and blowing out the currency to give to their big corporate buddies through the bailouts and the discount window. Ron Paul has a lot of great work on this. And the central banks create US dollars, right? We have the Federal Reserve Bank. They issue that money, they give it to their friends in the commercial banks, and then it gets created whenever we take out loans or we borrow money or whatever it may be. Well, they want to revamp this system so it's completely digital. The central banks issue the money, but they do it in a digital way that it can be tracked and traced. It could be surveilled. It could also be turned off and on. One of the first times I heard about the central bank digital currency thing was on NPR. Where are my NPR listeners? <laughs> Sometimes I turn it on just to see what the programming's like these days so I can connect with more people. It's bad. It's some sophisticated propaganda. This lady was like railing on Fox News, and I was like, oh, what do you listen to? NPR. I was like, oh, it's just a different brand of propaganda. Propaganda? What are you talking about? <laughs> it's fair and balanced. <laughs> Fox News was fair and balanced. Wait a second. So I heard this NPR piece, and it's like, central bank digital currencies. Imagine how swell it would be if you could send your kids off to college, and you could ensure that the money you give them gets spent only on tuition and books. Mm -hmm. It's like, wait a second. Interesting, interesting. So we saw a glimpse of what's to come with what happened in Canada with the Freedom Convoy, right? You know, when it comes to Freedom Convoy stuff, I was in solidarity, I was all excited about it, but it's like, all right, you guys are rallying to the Parliament, Parliament Square, now what are you gonna do? All these movements are like, you know what's gonna change the world? If we yell at government buildings. <laughs> That's gonna change everything, yelling at government buildings. 
that's why we talk about this exit and build thing. It's like we see a problem. All right, let's just let them do their thing over here, and we're going to do our thing over here. But as many of you may have heard, people's bank accounts got shut down for supporting the Freedom Convoy financially. They went to the people's banks and they stopped them. They stopped, they froze all the money, they stole people's money that donated, and then they froze people's bank accounts. People that were in the convoy and people that donated too. You know what else they did? They took people's cryptocurrency. But a lot of misinformation spread about that. People are like, well, cryptocurrency, they took it. Trudeau took the cryptocurrency, so cryptocurrency obviously isn't what you said it was, Jack, John. Well, in reality, what they did was they froze cryptocurrency accounts for folks that are using what's called a custodial wallet. That's when you set up a Coinbase account, you purchase your crypto, you link it with your bank account, you scan your driver's license, right? It ties it to your identity, and then you keep it in that wallet. A custodial wallet is a wallet where another entity has access to your private keys. With cryptocurrency, you got a public address and a private key. The public address, kind of like your account number, although you can create infinite account numbers, and it's advised that you create a new account number for every transaction you do to obfuscate the trail to have more privacy, right? But in order to unlock cryptocurrency or send cryptocurrency from a public address, you have to have a private key. It's a long string of letters and numbers. So on a non-custodial wallet, like Exodus, right, which Jack recommends, which I'm a big fan of as well, an Exodus wallet, nobody has access to that private key. Nobody even knows you set up the damn wallet. You could even set it up with a VPN. That obscures your IP address. So at the end of the day, if you want true sovereignty over your money, over your cryptocurrency, you gotta use a non-custodial wallet. So I just wanted to clear up some confusion there. So what happened in Canada, they want that to be set up all over the world. And what I believe to be the antidote to this central bank digital currency scheme where they can say this person is a bad person because they supported a freedom movement, they listen to the survival podcast and living free in Tennessee, there's some right-wing extremists, we are not going to let them do business anymore. Or you came in for your annual required medical checkup because they advanced some BS health insurance scheme or whatever, and because your cholesterol is over the allotted amount, we're not going to let you buy donuts at the grocery store. Ken Berry's like, that might not be a bad idea. <laughs> uh, or maybe you've gone over your allotted carbon credits for the month. We see that you haven't been recycling like we want you to do, so we're not going to let you do A, B, or C. That's the world they want to bring us into because when they can control you economically, it's a really big deal. Just like they did with your jobs and with the COVID mandates. If you don't take the vaccine, we're not going to pay you. All sorts of problems. We need to recognize that and we need to preemptively prepare, create institutions, create connections, create relationships so they can't dangle any strings. They can't do a carrot or a stick with us, right? And so it's my contention that we all ought to learn how to use cryptocurrency now because as this central bank digital currency system rolls out, it's going to be the only way that we can do business with one another online. I'm a silver guy, I'm a gold guy, I'm a barter guy, I'm a time bank, whatever the heck alternative system we wanna set up in person, right? But if you wanna buy Jack's course online and the government's like, Jack's a bad guy, we're not gonna let him do business with credit cards. I can't do business with credit cards to sell Kratom and CBD. It's a reality now. They, the government pressures the banks, they pressure the credit card companies not to let me sell my Delta 8 cannabis products or my Kratom. It's actually illegal in the state next door. It's illegal in six states, but it's just the dried up leaves of a plant. I can't do credit card. I can do e-check, 
and you bet your bottom Satoshi I can do cryptocurrency, right? <laughs> so I want to encourage folks, they may be hesitant, they may be mistrusting, but all the people are like, I don't trust Bitcoin, now let me pay with my Visa credit card, right? There's a disconnect there, guys. You don't have to go all in. I used to bang on the thing like, let's use Bitcoin to build wealth, but then I was like, damn, I'm tired of this freaking roller coaster. I'm gonna take my excess money and put it into food production systems because that's something that's not gonna go down in value. That's gonna continue to earn dividends for years to come. Also, the number one investment that we can engage in is investing in yourself. Nobody can take that away from you. It's never gonna go down in value. Once you got it, it's there to stay. And then you can spread the love and teach other people, right? But the best thing that we could use cryptocurrency for is so we can continue to do commerce online. There's private cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin, when you do a transaction, that is known on a public blockchain, this distributed ledger. It can be known that this address sent crypto to that address. Now you can play your cards right and not tie this address to your identity. There's ways to do that, right? But it's a public transaction. Anyone can audit it, it can be known. And now there's forensic, a forensic psychology, forensic analysis that analyze the blockchain, right? It was at the Silk Road trial with Ross Ulbricht and heard the DOJ, like these guys, we thought Bitcoin was all private, that's not the case. But there are private cryptocurrencies, like Monero and Pirate Chain, right? So I strongly encourage folks, you don't have to start investing tens of thousands of bucks, thousands of bucks, but at least get yourself a few hundred dollars worth of cryptocurrency and learn how to use it now before you find yourself in a situation where you've been shut out of your bank account and you can no longer subscribe to the MSB, uh, Survival Podcast membership, purchase Crater from here, buy the eggs online across the place, right? So it's, it's, it's of critical importance, right? That's one of the big pieces of strategy that I like to employ when it comes to the exit and build financial strategy. Using cryptocurrency, setting up the barter networks, building those relationships and those connections now so when the time comes, you're not caught with your pants down, scrambling to catch up, right? Another huge piece is entrepreneurship. How am I doing on time? What time? 10 minutes? Oh, sweet. Entrepreneurship. Where are my entrepreneurs in the audience? So, as we saw recently, you know, I'm not a big research, the conspiracy guy. I did that for years and years, and I puked all over my family at the Thanksgiving dinners and <laughs> annoyed the piss out of them, right? And there's a lot of folks that are like, I'm doing my part to further the cause of freedom and truth by sharing articles on Telegram. You guys got Telegram groups where it's like forward, 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 forward. We don't allow that in our freedom cell groups because like we're here to get shit done, not to learn about the problem. We're here to figure out the solution, not just figure it out, to act on it. But let us understand the problem in the context of how can we navigate around it. Let's understand the problem so we can figure out how to insulate ourselves from it and so we can figure out what do we need to do in order to protect ourselves and protect future generations from this problem. Now, we, we learned one of their strategies. They tried as hard as they possibly could to get as many people to take this weird injection, whatever technology, I don't know what's going on, graphene oxide, linking up with 5G towers, who knows, I don't know, I don't care, frankly, because I saw it was a total scam, total BS, totally bogus. But they revealed their hand. They will stop at nothing to make your life inconvenient, to threaten your livelihood in order to get you to do a medical procedure, and that is wrong. But now we know that, we know that. So for the folks that have the corporate job and maybe you just lucked out, who knows what's gonna happen next? 
it's obviously a tool in their toolbox to roll out a pandemic or plandemic, whatever you want to call it, in order to usher in their great reset agenda. So now that we know that, let us prepare for that, right? So I would encourage folks, not saying abandon your cushy job with your 401k, but maybe start the side hustle so that if the time comes and they're like, you have to do this or that in order to keep your job, you say, well, I've been building the side hustle. I got a small customer base. I feel confident and comfortable that if I had to completely abandon this, at least I'd be able to get by on the side hustle, okay? So when it comes to business, I like to think of business as helping people to solve their problems. Oftentimes, the bigger the problem and the more problems you solve, the more money you can make, right? There's this awesome Zig Ziglar quote, and he says, uh, you can have everything you want in life as long as you help other people to get what they want, right? That's what I think of when I think of business. So if there's any skills you got, any, any assets you got, any trades, anything that you're just completely obsessed with, start to think about how can I monetize this? How can I trade this service, this knowledge, this widget, this good for money? And just start the side hustle. You don't have to completely abandon your gig. You don't have to quit your job and put yourself at risk, but start the side hustle so when the time comes, you can move to that job. But I tell you what, COVID mandate or not, it's really cool being an entrepreneur. It's very fulfilling. I get to do work that spreads, I'm working right now, this whole trip was a damn tax write-off, right? Yeah. And I brought the kiddos along with me. <laughs> and they're working too. <laughs> so, you know, another thing, like, I have four or five full-time employees now. Actually, they're contractors, because it's easier for everybody when it comes to all the tax and the regulation. And then there's like half a dozen other contractors that work with me for 20 to 40 hours. I have a good friend up in Brooklyn, New York. He did a lot of carpentry work and he blew his knee out and had to get surgery and there's this huge infection and he came to me hat in hand you know he was like he didn't feel comfortable asking me this but he did he's my friend he said hey man i'm down and out can i borrow some money i, I can't i don't have health insurance i can't afford this medical procedure so i said not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lend you money i'm just gonna give you some money and would you like to come work with me and now he works with me full time and he's not going back to the job that he dreaded, you know? And I have the ability to do that because I created an economic engine doing things that I love to do. So I just want to encourage you guys, entrepreneurship, it's scary and by God, it's freaking challenging. We were watching Shark Tank last night. I don't know if the producers strategically pick these people, but they're like, tell us about your story. And everybody breaks down crying. My dad died, grandfather lives, I got this disease, whatever. But it's really challenging, but it's the most rewarding thing, really. It's, it's a lot of fulfilling things that we can do as entrepreneurs and at the end of the day we're in total control so I can't go to self-reliance festival I gotta work it's like well my work is self-reliance festival you can have that if you want there's plenty of vendor spaces right there for the next one start your widgets start your wares right it's just, I, we teach this stuff in a dual purpose way a lot of the preppers and stuff it's all about fear and they're gonna come get us and we got to prepare but a lot of this philosophy and the speakers that have graced this stage it's all about this is how we ought to be living anyway Right? So I would encourage you to consider entrepreneurship because you may find that it's a lot more in alignment with your values and you could build your business around your life rather than building your life around your job. Right? Okay, cool. Now, the, okay. one minute. Okay, the last piece is to build networks, right? To build interconnected networks called counter economies. So they're coming to squeeze, they're coming to regulate, they're coming to shut down this alternative medicine, they're coming, they're coming for your guns! 
I'm not worried about that at all, honestly. Like, they try to march onto this property coming for guns. The, the local sheriff's going to be like, nah, 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 we're not going to do that. Local sheriff's probably we're not taking anybody's freaking guns. Are you kidding me? So, not to let your guard down or anything, but in states like Texas and Tennessee, they ain't coming for your guns. All right. But they are trying to circumvent those good conservative sheriffs and those good lawmakers and those good people that obviously aren't going to give up their guns. Again, they figured it out. They're like, we can't go to them directly through our tyranny and pressure. we got to come up with these little schemes and systems, and that central bank digital currency scheme is one of them. So how can we navigate around that? Let's build the networks. Let's start the business directories. Let's join the GSD crew in Tennessee. Let's join the Freedom Cell Network, and let's start trading amongst ourselves. We recently did a cow share. We started up a cow share again with our local Freedom Cell crew. And within three days, we were able to sell enough shares to butcher a whole damn cow. We went and bought the big uh, uh, freezer, the upright freezer in our, in our guest house and stuff. We're ready to go. We did that through a network, through pulling our money together, strength in numbers. So I want to encourage you guys, anytime you have a plumbing job or you got the electrician or you want to buy this widget or that widget or you need to be consulted on something, Go within the network first. Build those relationships. And again, it may come a day when we can't do business with A, B, or C because you got to use a central bank digital currency or you got to wear a mask to go into the freaking grocery store. Who knows? Imagine that probably wasn't a big thing in Tennessee much either. Or was it? I don't know. They brainwashed a lot of people and turned the damn TV off and the virus is nowhere to be found. But again, <laughs> it's weird. But again, uh, it's not... That's one way to think it. It's a dual purpose. We want to react and we want to prepare for this ugly stuff that's happening. But it feels really good to support our friends financially, doesn't it? To work together, to build those networks. That's really what it's all about. So let us use all this crazy stuff that's coming down the pike as motivation to get our butts in gear. And let's prepare. Let's preemptively learn how to use private cryptocurrencies. Let's start that side hustle so we're not in a position where we're forced to make a decision between a medical procedure and our income. And let's work together with our networks. Let's build out the Freedom Cell Network, the GSD crew, whatever it may be. Let's work together to create a better world, not just for ourselves, but so our, our children and future generations don't have to be, don't have to face all this crazy stuff in the future. All right, thank you very much, everybody. All right, let's, let's give it up for John Bush. Hey, uh, raise your hand if you are really interested in learning about intentional community. So the Baroness of intentional communities right here, stand up. At noon, she'll be in the garage hosting a roundtable discussion about Right, so I just I wanted to point that out because so many hands went up, um, just in case you did not see that on the agenda, there it is. Okay, this next cat is part of the reason we're all here. He's a big part of the reason. We've got John Willis. I don't feel like I need to say anything about his background, um, but the way this often goes, just like his YouTube live streams, we're gonna talk about what you wanna talk about. Handing it over to you, John. Hello. So, Randall, go where you wanna go and do what you do. Like, do it how you do it. Um, what I just heard was lifestyle design, right? That's what that sounded a lot like was lifestyle design, which you know Jack says a lot too. Uh, I don't know what I'm gonna say to you guys. We'll really just talk about whatever it is you wanna talk about and I'll just go from there. I wanted to put these together so that I could get all of these guys. I wanted to see these dogs 
and I knew I wasn't going to go there, so how do I get him to bring him here? I knew I wasn't going to go to Jack's place, so how do I get Jack here, right? So that's, that's what this is all about, and it's turned into this. This is the third one. We're going to do a fourth one. Hope all of you come. Usually I just seem really angry. I'm not. Um, I just yell, and I say things that I want to say, and because I say those, lesser and lesser people see me because of it, and I keep getting banned and locked down. So just ask me something, and we'll go from there. I don't know. What do you want to talk about? So this, so this right here started as a gravel pit. We drove past this property for 10 years on the way to the gym, and it was locked, and you could not see in here. It was overgrown. One day it wasn't locked, and they had bush hogged enough that we could drive a truck through there, so we came through. We found a four by eight sheet of plywood that said Paris Real Estate that had a tree growing to it. We were able to make out the phone number, called them, and they said it's not listed in real estate anymore, but it belongs to Borcher. The dude sitting next to me goes, I know a Borcher. So he called this guy he went to school with, and they said, yeah, my aunt owns this property. This was a bar and grill. It was a nightclub. Uh, all through the 90s, all your hair bands, like Twisted Sister played in here, all kinds of country acts played in here. Um, and then we, I called her and I said, hey, what do you want for this product? She said, 190 I said, I'll give you 120 I didn't have $100, much less $120,000. So she came back, she's like, let me talk. So they came back 160 I said 140 and I said, okay, I'll buy it. And two days later, I bought it. So I went to the bank and said, hey, I want to buy this. And they said, what do you have for collateral? And I said, I have all these cars and all this other stuff. And he's like, okay. So then we had the building, we took a construction loan in out against the building after about six months, and we built it out kind of how you see. The plan never was to put the company in here. When I bought the property, I just thought we would do some welding and, I don't know, maybe keep a tractor here and the kids could ride dirt bikes. Um, when we started building it out, we moved from the property up the road, about a half mile up there, we still have that place. We put everything under one roof and a lot of our business stuff uh, got a lot easier because everything was in one place. Um, Facebook, social media, guys, guys have no filter they, because they, they, you, they think they can't choke you. You can't choke them, right? You won't knock their teeth out through the internet. Um, so when guys would say things like they would email my wife and go, hey, bitch, how come my stuff hasn't shipped out? I would write out what they said and listen to it, make sure I got it right. And I would type it out and put it on Facebook and I would tag him in it. And I'd say, hey, Tell this guy what you think about calling my wife at 11 o'clock on a Friday night when he just ordered this shit Friday afternoon. So then I'd use his name as a discount code and give him 20% off, but you had to tag him with your order number. So, so we, never, we never launched the case. I, I did that part of it, but they went way beyond that, right? They would drop his five-star rating to one star if he had a business. They would make, he would have to change his account, completely walk out his social media accounts. But people liked that. So when I did it the first time Friday, I forgot all about it by Saturday. And when I finally looked at it, there was like 3,000 comments on it. So a couple of them were, you can't do that to a customer. Well, clearly I can. I just did it. <laughs> and most of them were, I wish my boss would stand up for us like that, or I wish we could do that. So I just kept doing it, and because of that, I made millions and millions of dollars very, very quickly because of the eyeballs. 
and social media, the way you know it doesn't work is because it just stopped working, right? And it's all the algorithms. So nowadays I just say things, and the things I've said for 10 years on social media, they go back and hit me for stuff from 48 months ago and, and lock you down. Like I do a lot, I used to do a live feed at nine o'clock every morning on a stair stepper. And in, in five minutes, I'd have 5,000 people on to talk to me while I did cardio. <laughs> Nowadays, I do a live feed and I get 100 people. A couple days ago, 16 comments on YouTube Live, 9 o'clock at night, every single night. And I said, hey, there's no comments, so I'm going to jump to Facebook. Immediately, 100 dudes jump on. They're like, hey, we were on your live feed. We physically couldn't comment. So when you go to my YouTube channel during a live, a lot of times it will not even show you that I'm live. My wife sends an email out to a text message on our text app or puts it in some of our private groups. So guys are able to always click in, but now it's come to the point where they can no longer comment. So what do you do with that? How do you, you know, and it's addiction, right? It's, it, you're very addicted to making fast, easy money. Um, it's just like social media stuff, especially like TikTok. If you guys, any of you guys in business, if you're not on TikTok, TikTok is growing. It's, my TikTok account is doubling every month and I'm not trying at all with TikTok. Um, but it's like when you, that thumbnail, right? It's very addictive. When you see the titties and they click on it, that, once you do that, or once you use that clickbait, oh my God, the world's ending, you always have to do that for your algorithm to continue to do that. So, I don't know, did I answer your question? Okay, and if people have questions, line up over here and come to me, just saying, except for the next question right now. Who has the next question? Okay, I'm done. Oh, come on then. You stunned them into silence. Okay, yell your question. Where did you get your start? How did you get your, your initial... You know, come over here and line up, please. 35 years ago? So, I thought I wanted to go in the Navy, um, and that didn't happen. I got arrested at 17 and a half years old. Uh, with 22 kilos of cocaine in a vehicle and some guns. Um, went to juvenile hall, tried as an adult, because in adult court that wasn't any big deal compared to juvenile. Uh, turned 18, came home from juvenile uh, hall. Um, three years of probation. I had to fill out some forms for a few months and they're like, hey, you don't have to do this anymore, just don't get in trouble. So that was that, that was the end of probation. Never expunged that, never did anything with it. Um, and just kind of fell into this deal. My cousin was going through Buds at the time. Uh, we met this guy who sewed some stuff. We were doing gun shows and printing t-shirts, taking them to a gun show. Um, and this guy had some gear. So I took some of his gear to the gun show and took orders on his gear and sold $2,000 worth of his stuff. Came back, I'm like, I have $2,000, you make this, I'll continue to sell it. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm building parachutes. I go, well, what am I going to do? He goes, well, you're going to refund that money. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. He's like, then you better learn how to sew. So I rented a sewing machine. And he came over. He came over and showed me how to thread the sewing machine and then left. And then the sewing machine ran out of thread. And I waited a couple more weeks for Mike to show back up. And he, I built a couple little things. Um, I went to school with some guys that were doing some explosive ordnance disposal stuff. Um, they did a lot of stuff with the Navy, uh, with the SEAL teams. So I'm building very, very raw trash, right? And uh, they come over and they're like, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? So we started doing that. 
Um, and they just kept giving me orders and I kept building poor quality, well, I mean, it held together because we just put so much thread in it, there was no way it was gonna come apart. But it was very rough. So any agency, any law enforcement, uh, any police agency that did any anti-drug stuff could get federal grant money and go through SEAL weapons school. So all the SWAT teams started seeing all their stuff on all these SEALs. So they're coming around and I'm get it, I, I sleep, you know, I, I sew all night and then I sleep till 10, 11 in the morning and I'd open the door and there'd be a sheriff's department car and I'm like, shit, they're after me. Like, what are they? So I'm dodging the cops for like six months trying not to, I'm definitely not calling them back. And one night I'm in the garage and they throw the garage door open and there's a bunch of cops. I'm like, hey, you got me. They're like, you're a hard guy to get a hold of. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of on purpose. They're like, we want, to, we want you to build some stuff. So we started building their stuff as a byproduct of that. Um, the airsoft industry, there's like airsoft BB guns, you know. Um, in Japan, they can't own real firearms. If you want to have a gun, you can keep, I believe it's a 22 is the first gun you buy. It stays in a locker at the gun shop. But they can buy airsoft guns, which weigh the same, function very similar, and you can shoot each other with them. And they do big enactments. Like they're, they have helicopters that fly in and fast boats and all kinds of shit. So as a byproduct, building stuff for NSW, the Naval Special the SEAL teams, they wanted our stuff. So because a platoon would come in and we would do some some design or some changeover, they would go out and do go to like Chocolate Mountains and do aircraft under pop, right? So these guys would take pictures from the jets, they're doing fast movers and stuff. We would get those photos of our gear on those guys and we would send them to Japan. And then uh, Japan, it would be a bid and a fight the next morning, whoever was going to buy this, we're only gonna build 100 pieces, whoever buys it, you have to buy them all. So we started doing that. And then they started getting put in magazines and the same guys doing the magazines for those photos also worked in the States and started putting their stuff all over the cover. Nobody knew who we were. Our pictures were just in every magazine. So guys started seeking us out. So it just kind of went from there. It's, it's evolved into this now. Um, I moved to Tennessee to work with three employees and just do custom stuff, just one-off custom stuff for dudes. And never was I gonna do this again until the social media thing really took off. We weren't going to try to scale or, or do anything different. So for the last two years, really, I guess it's been three years now when the, the COOFIS started, we kind of thought, well, maybe there's something to this. So we started putting in infrastructure and concrete blocks and extra lighting and all kinds of stuff. But I've really transitioned my life into a place that I don't have to have this to be able to live and do this. Um, so we have parties, we have very pretty good sized parties. Guys come from all over the world, bands and music, uh, you know, food trucks and machine guns and all kinds of shit. During COVID, we never locked down. Like that never happened. That like our answer, our answer is you don't have enough guns, you better come back with more agencies. Like for real, like that's, that's that, that conversation has been had. So we just did good shit and uh, we bought, like we bought in, my, my concern was postage was going to shut off. The, we, my concern was they were gonna lock down state lines, we weren't gonna have UPS coming in, we wouldn't have USPS. We ship 2,000 boxes a week out of here, individual to consumer. So if you turn off my shipping, we're, we can't ship, it's, we're done, right? So how do we still employ all my guys and my people? 
we brought in a row house. We figured we food, everybody needs to eat, we can barter, we can trade. We brought in a wood processing outfit. We brought in tractors to move wood. We just brought in the capability to still employ my guys. Almost every dude that works here, my ladies, most of my ladies that sew, they live within 10 minutes to 45 minutes. We can still employ you if you choose to. Farm stuff, that's your option. My guys that work here, we don't hire local guys because local guys for the most part can stay home at mom's house on Monday when they've drunk too much. Uh, my guys that work for me, they've moved here from California, Texas, Alaska. They have a vested interest and they know what's going on. If a dude packs his shit up in a car and comes here from Alaska, he's probably watched a lot of my videos and he knows kind of what I'm about. So those dudes, they just have staying power. Um, I don't know. Anything else? I got one. Yeah. Can you uh, can you riff moron? You said you said riff moron. <laughs> You're not a moron. No. Can you riff more on uh, something you said yesterday? I didn't even think it was in a talk. You're just showing around, and, and you just said it again that you're doing this business so you don't have to do the business so lifestyle design right and that's kind of where you were ending up with there um that's really stuck with me build your life in a manner that your life is how you want it to be if you do things that you love doing if you pick that thing and figure out how to monetize it you don't ever work like i love what i do when i would be out skiing i was thinking maybe i should make some straps to carry my skis when I'm diving out in La Jolla, I think, man, it would be nice to be able to pull this regulator out and have some fresh water in my mouth. So we immediately went back home, made a bag to hold a camel back on the side of a tank. You remove the manifold, drink fresh water, 60 feet underwater. Water doesn't compress. So I liked doing those things. No matter what I was doing, I was always thinking, how can I do this for this? We rented out the entire track and drove every exotic car they had in Los Angeles. We took my crew out there. The whole day, we drove every Ferrari, Lamborghini, everything they had. The whole time we're there, I'm like, how can I do something with these guys? Well, all these cars have red thread or yellow thread. We can take our black tool bags, we can put red thread or yellow thread in them, and we can market them to them. Maybe we don't put the Ferrari logo on there, but these bags look like their cars. Do you want to sell your product to people with a little money, or do you want to sell your product for a lot of more money to people with a lot of money? And it's just how you market it and how you target it. And you can still target both sides. It's just the value of your product. Like I heard somebody say a while ago, if you're comfortable with the price you're charging, you're probably not charging enough. That fucking stuck with me. Like a lot of the stuff I've done, I just did and I just made it my own and I kind of forget where a lot of it comes, but a lot of it came from right here. I was in California working out of my garage. I had a, a German lady who spoke more German than English. We had a couple of other people working in the garage, and we would play the survival podcast every day. They probably hate that. <laughs> but, but I always said I need to get out of California. I need to get out of California. And I finally got out of California. It's just something that day, right? There's, there's another. So I owed the IRS $3.2 million. And I paid them $3.2 million. So I spent 10 years being a crazy survivalist living in a cave. I literally was waiting for society to collapse. And fucking society didn't collapse, right? So I still owe $3.2 million. So Jack, I, I remember him saying, he's like, a lot of these dudes live the life you want if times get tougher, even if they don't. So a lot of, he said, you know, there's dudes held up in caves 
20 years old. They've been living in this dank, dark, deep cave, stacking up beans and rice, and now they're 40 years old, and they've wasted 20 years, the best 20 years of their life, or 20 of the best years of their life. And I'm like, shit, that's me he's talking about. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna live. So I bought a Range Rover that night. <laughs> so bought a Range Rover and just started spending money, and I thought, uh, no, it's not six, not 6,500 pounds. So that's the G-Wagon and the uh, Cayenne from Porsche. So I just, I, I found, I went to my lawyer, who was a friend, um, said, hey, I've got some things I need to tell a uh, tax guy. We find the guy and he was uh, running with the bulls, running with the bulls in Vietnam War as his, uh, his you know, accomplishments. I'm like, that's our dude. So I go in and I'm like, hey, I've got some things I probably need to tell you. It's gonna sound like bullshit. And I just laid it out, and three hours later, he's like, yep, that all sounds like bullshit. Sounds like drugs. And I go, I promise you it's not, because I've been really dumb, and I have documented everything I've done, and I've posted it on social media. Um, so there is a clear 10-year history of all this. So also, the IRS is going to know every single thing that I bought. So we got a tax guy, took care of it, and, uh, but I wasted a lot of time, right? doing those things. And I, you see Porsches and Range Rovers and shit parked up there in the dirt. I don't even drive any of that shit. Like, it doesn't matter. It means nothing. What means something is, what do you have to show? Like, if the power goes out or if you get sick, right? So it's just lifestyle design. It's things that I want to do. I did a lot of this so that I could do a lot of that. Where did that money come from? I'm just very lucky, I guess, that I liked doing what I was doing. So every night, I do a live feed and guys are like, what should I buy? You shouldn't buy anything from me. Take your 100 and figure out how to make it 500 and then make it 5,000. I want you to start something that you love doing. I want you to produce a product and I want you to come to me in two years and go, hey, let's put your logo on here. I want you to sell my thing. Okay, how many can you build? You can build 100, then I want 500 and I want them in 30 days. I can't do that. Well, we're gonna fucking find out if you can do it or not. And I promise you, you can do it. And then how much do you pay for them? You pay 50, I'm gonna sell your product for $100 and I'm gonna raise the value of your product and I'm gonna put a million eyes on your product right away. So you better be able to scale and we're gonna find out whether you can do it or not. And that's, that's what I like doing, I do that all the time. I make more money on branded merchandise than my merchandise. I make more money, I have 5,000 pounds of gummy bears come in here every quarter. I could sell 10,000 pounds a quarter. We're just busy and I don't have the manpower. I take gummy bears, I put them in bags, I put our logo on them, they make them for me when I order them. I sell 20,000 pounds of gummy bears. I shouldn't tell any of you this, but I always, I give away all the secrets. I pay a dollar a pound for gummy bears, I sell gummy bears for $10 a pound. I buy coffee mugs for $4 a cup, and I sell coffee mugs for $25 a cup. I pay $8 a shirt, I sell them for $25 a shirt. I do 120 pieces every Monday, we sell out in five minutes. I use something called scarcity marketing. There's a company called Supreme, maybe you've heard of. People, they do these pop-up shops in New York and stuff, guys show up, people get stabbed over these things. They sell a $3 t-shirt for $75, and then the guys that get them put them on eBay and sell them, buy it now tonight for $500 to $1,000. It happened, and, and it goes, it's perpetual, it's insane. None of you are that market, but that market exists whether you realize it exists or not. So that's what I do. If I can sell 100, I only build 75 pieces. Hit it, quit it, on to the next one. We do 75 micro rigs, 75 tool bags, 75 backpacks, 
I have 75,000 people on my email list at all times. Email has an algorithm. We don't ever buy, we don't ever merge, we don't ever sell. Those are real people that clicked two times and put all their information in to be on my email list. There's an algorithm to it now because of all the free email services like Google and Hotmail and Gmail and all that shit, right? So you can easily get marked as a mass spammer. So what we're after is a nine to 11% open rate on our email. So we go through and we use MailChimp and Constant Contact. We, we maintain several email lists because miraculously, even though it's the same customers, one gets through when one doesn't. So we can go through and see who opens, who purchases, and who never opens. Every, really it's every quarter, every third, right? We kill 50% of our email list. First, I send you a discount code for $20 that's active for 72 hours, and you have to spend $100 to use that free $20. 5% of those people that haven't been opening open and actually commit and make that order, so they stay on the list. We remove the other half. I make $50,000 more, between $20,000 $50,000 more that Friday when I remove half my email list than I did all the others on average. It's that, it's that algorithm. Now we use SMS, which is what? Small message service, I think that's what it stands for. It's text message. I have 2,500 people on my text message app. We were bribing people to get on text message that we would send the text out an hour before the email. What happened was people were like, hey, I don't think you populated the website with these products because they're at zero and we can't buy them. What was happening was we were selling everything before the text, before, on text before the email went out. And that's the thousand true fans model, right? If you have a thousand true fans, uh, the fish store guy, really, that, that stuck with me. I've used that a lot, the fish store guy. So if you have a thousand people, if you're doing shit that you can put eyeballs on, if you're doing, how, how do you get people to be interested in what you're doing? You do interesting things. If you operate through the day as though a camera is following you around, you will probably operate a lot differently than you operate without the camera. Do everything as though it's important, and if it's not fucking important, stop fucking doing it. Don't do things in your life that you don't like doing. If you don't like dragging chickens around, don't have chickens. If you don't like goats on the hood of your Porsche, you probably shouldn't have fucking goats. <laughs> I thought it'd be awesome to have this, this fucking peacock. And it's running up and down the road for months. So I have like, I have probably 20 hours of footage of us chasing this peacock. Like we ordered a net gun to shoot the peacock. So we finally, one day I have nobody with me. I'm driving back and sure as shit, the peacock is at my other building on the patio, which is enclosed. So I go up there and I'm like, yep, there's the peacock. So I, I run up and mob this peacock and it's scratching the shit out of me and it's, it's cutting me and doing all kinds of stuff. So I, I, I can't take it in my car. So I come and get, I, I got it in a box. I come and get two kids in the truck and I'm like, hey, block this entryway. I'm gonna grab the peacock. So we got the peacock, two of the kids are in the truck. I like open the door a little, throw the peacock in. The kid's like, ah! So the peacock's in the back, mauling two kids. And I thought, I thought the peacock would kind of associate with the turkeys because they're kind of the same size, right? So we carry the peacock up, we put him in there with the turkeys. Five minutes, the peacock's down in my car. Every morning for three months, I come to work and it, the peacock is on my Range Rover. He loved the Range Rover. That's just where he scratches all over the hood of the Range Rover. So this guy works for me named Paulo, and he's like, so I got this dude 
that works for me, and he's like, I can catch your peacock. So he takes the lid of my Berkey, the stainless steel lid, and he's trying to get this reflection so the peacock will come up, and he's going to try to grab the peacock. I, now I don't have that lid anymore. You know, I don't know where it's at. But this dude, Paulo's like, I can catch your peacock. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And he goes out there, and he gets a fig off the tree, and he's like, peacock, peacock, peacock. And he catches the peacock, like, within a minute. We chased, we tried, like, I'm like, I'm going to kill the peacock. Like, he's like, no, I will catch your peacock. And I, so a couple days go by, I'm like, how's the peacock? He's like, oh, we ate it. <laughs> it's, that, was just, that was just awesome. But it's for thousand true fans. If, if you have a thousand true fans that will watch what you do, will they give you a dollar? And if they'll give you a dollar, will they give you five dollars? So if you have a thousand people willing to give you five dollars every month, that's more than a lot of people make every month, right? And if, and if you have a thousand, you can easily get two thousand. You can run promotions, you can do giveaways. When I post, hey, who wants free shit on my, on my Facebook page? I'll get 5,000 people within two hours that are like, yes, I want free shit. When I post something that's true, that would literally change the course of your life, I get two comments. Yep. You, just, you just have to know how to manipulate social media. I know everybody's like, I ain't using that social media. Yeah, I know. I, I knew guys that were like, I'm not using the cell phone. So just figure out what it is you like doing and just keep doing it. You have to stick with it. You gotta build the foundation of that pyramid. And a lot of my foundation of my pyramid is digging shit with a shovel before I can afford a tractor. We, I, I bought a little 35 horsepower John Deere tractor, went to scoop out the goat pens, and it, I, I'm not, I was not a tractor operator. So what we really bought was a really expensive wheelbarrow <laughs> because a lot of Saturdays and Sundays, my wife and I were out here all day with shovels shoveling goat shit to put it in there to move the goat shit where we kind of want to grasp it. It's, it's You're doing good things and showing that you can. It just happens, and I hate to be that magical about it, but you have to be willing to be out there and talk to people. So, so honest answer. Who here lives near somebody who doesn't know that you are a prepper slash homesteader? You have not tried to create a community. If they don't know that you're a prepper slash homesteader, how do you know they're not? People tell me I'm trying to find people like me in my area. Well, where do you live? I live in the suburbs. How many people live on your block? About 30. Do you know all of them on a first-name basis? No, then you have not tried to establish a community. Now, again, I don't think you should knock on the door. Have you heard the good news about prepping? <laughs> I don't think you should do that. But I think you should be like, hey, we live in the neighborhood. We never met you. Who are you? You should know everybody on a first-name basis. Now, you might find out that the person is like a problem. Would it be good to know the person is going to be a problem before or after the shit hits the fan? Before. So it's a fact-finding mission. But you have a community. You live in a community. Your neighbors are your community, whether you like them or not. Like, how, how I, my background influences my view of community. I grew up in a place that was a community. We all helped each other. We all did things. No one ever said, hey, you know what we should do? We should get together and make ourselves a community. If you would have said that where I grew up, they would have said, I think you should leave. <laughs> we already have a community. The fact that you don't understand that makes you a liability to what we're doing. We had a dude up the road made homemade wine. His name was Buddy Shoemaker. That guy could have made a phone call and got anything done in that town of about 1,300 people like that. The second he asked, somebody would have done it. So just, we talk about homesteading by growing where you are. Start talking to your neighbors and learn what they're, everybody's good at something. 
But once somebody asked me in one of the earlier segments, like, well, what if I know this person and their wife's a nurse practitioner? Do I store up food for them? No, you don't store up food for them. If you really are worried about things that go really south, you have a whole bunch of refugee rations. There will be a doctor who doesn't have stuff. Feed him. Don't, don't try to pick your people in advance. But if you really want community, get to know your neighbors and talk to them. Find out there's a mechanic there and, hey, he can tell you you shouldn't really take your car in because you don't need to. What happens? Grow where you're at. All right. I'm a, uh, going back to the central part of your question. I'm going to try to focus on that. Okay, I make no bones about the fact that I am a Christian, American, heterosexual, pro-gun, libertarian, you name it, okay? But the most moral person I know is an atheist. So, that said, if I have this barometer and this list of expectations that I want for the community around me, it's like in the military, and you know I'm right when I say this, is that I don't, know, I don't get to choose who my battle buddy's gonna be, but you make it work, okay? Um, at the end of the day, and I was talking to John the other night, we had to do some running around, and I even said it to Nicole, looking at this from my Christian worldview, I think of Noah, world's first prepper, as John reminded me, right? Okay, he got on that boat, there was eight people on there, if you believe the story, but I do. So Noah got on there with his wife, he had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, got on there with their wives too, right? Bunch of animals. If you recall anything in that story about Noah bringing his cousins? His aunts and uncles, nieces, nephews. No, there were none of them on there. So having family doesn't necessarily make them good for you. I've built a number of communities, and Darren, who's right over there somewhere, he's still in one of the first communities we built together, okay? Now, of these communities that I built, the only ones that were dismal, diabolical failures were the ones I built with my family. One of the first ones I did, I kid you not. Like I said, having family doesn't necessarily make them good for you. We're out there, my wife, William, and uh, myself out there doing 99% of the work, but they think, it's like that Snoop Dogg song. Everybody got their cups out, but nobody's chipping in. So <laughs> until the end of it, I mean, we're out here doing all the work, and yet they show up. They can't help. They got headaches when we're out here doing this and that. But you know what? Harvest time rolls around. Guess what? They got the cups out. Ain't nobody chipping in. So that's what I'm getting at, look. Just because they're family doesn't necessarily make them good for you. And as I said to a number of people the other day, from this point on, look, my family put the funk in dysfunctional, all right? So I don't have the benefit of coming from a good place. I had to make a lot of awful mistakes, made a lot of bad decisions. The only thing worthwhile I'm going to leave on this planet is my son and his project. So set up and make your own family. So I'm building some of that family right here with some of you, some of the people on this stage. So we may not share DNA together, but we share something I think is far deeper than that. So with that said. So that's cool. Uh, you brought up faith. The question for me would be is how important is faith to you? Right? You need to know what your go and no-go lines are. We talked earlier about high ideological alignment. So if these things are important to you and these things aren't, and somebody over here that you're thinking about doing life with falls squarely into this column, probably a bad investment of your time, energy, and resources. If this person over here does fall into this column, probably, probably a good investment of your time, energy, and resources. Right? But here's the thing. Christian worldview. You shall know them by their fruits. 
Just because they say with their mouth, yeah, I think prepping's cool. I think we should start a garden. You know what we should do? Let's raise some goats. That means shit if they don't do it with you. And so you begin to build these relationships. Like Jack brought up, how well do you know the people in your existing community? If the answer is not well, you're failing. You need to get to know them better. Develop relationships with them. Go do stuff with them. If you set up three opportunities to go do something with somebody and they skip all three of them, next one, next one, next one. Knock the dust off your feet and move on to the next house. Right inside talks about that. So if faith is important to you, it's important to what you're trying to do. If faith isn't important to you, it's not important to what you're trying to do. You need to determine what your own go and no-go is. For me, it's deeply important. We have a code of ethics that we hold each other to. And so again, we're not going to bang each other's wives and murder each other. I think that's pretty important to have a successful community, right? But, pretty much, right? yeah. Where is that? Uh, <laughs> comma, if you're into that, build that community. <laughs> They're already out there. I don't even know how I got on this stage with these guys, so I don't know what I've got to add. Um, if the farmer down the road has beef that you need, you don't have to red pill him and wake him up, right? You don't have to tell him what your stuff is to do commerce with him. I guess, I guess that's what I got to add. They covered all the rest of it. All right, next question. Next question. Yeah, you're afraid we're going to beat you up, aren't you? They're afraid of the mic. Don't be afraid to put your hand up. You're going to miss a golden opportunity. When taking on this lifestyle, what mistake did you learn the most from? I'll, I'll definitely take that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, going right back to what I just said before, life's greatest injustice, in my view, is the inability to choose your own family. I mean, you got to deal with what you got from the word go. One of the biggest mistake I did was thinking that they had the same ethic as me. Um, both my parents, I don't ever talk about this, it's not important, but at the end of the day, you you basically got to make your own family. You got to make your own mistakes. You got to do all these things. And I, the biggest mistake I made was thinking that because we're family, we're family. But I've been tighter with my army buddies. I've been tighter with some of the people in this room. I've been tighter, obviously, with the family, my biological family that I built. And I think the biggest mistake is thinking that, at least for me, and I'm sure it's going to be a number of reasons or a number of other reasons that you get. The biggest mistake I made is thinking that they have the same moral code and ethics that I have, and they don't, and then they wind up be dismal failures. The best friends I have in this world, we share zero DNA, but we share the things that are most important. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be redundant, but that's the biggest mistake I made. I, I think the biggest mistake that I made was trying to do too much too fast trying to do everything at once, especially when I decided to go public and do it as a podcaster and you have to be doing all the things. And like, you know, I mean, one of them was, hey, yeah, I got a new place now, I got room, I need bees. Bees suck. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you why bees suck for me. It doesn't mean they suck for you, because somebody's gonna be like, I know one of y'all, don't do it. They're gonna be like, I'm gonna tell you, bees don't suck, man. I'm gonna tell you <laughs> Don't do that to me, right? Bees suck for me, because I don't like this heat. And I'm in, in Texas, and I wanted to be a good beekeeper, and I learned I needed to be going inside my hives at least once a month. And I had to wear a bee suit once a month in Texas in July and August and September. I don't want to do that. So I called somebody that liked bees and didn't think they said, take the bees away. <laughs> right? And I, I learned to let go. But 
So that was my biggest mistake. The biggest mistake I see people make, though, we had a question on this already, worrying about somebody else. That's the biggest thing that holds most of y'all back. Well, how do I get my cousin, my brother, my uncle, my father's cousin's uncle's former roommate to prep? Don't. You don't. They'll get to that walk on their own or they won't. The biggest mistake most people make is they worry about somebody else instead of worrying about themselves and getting it done. And I think that's in prepping. I think that's in business. I think that's in all. These people all the time, you tell them something they can do, and they're like, well, I know this guy. He would be perfect for that. Do you see him in the mirror? That, that I think, is the biggest mistake most people make. For me, it was doing too much too fast. So philosophical and then practical. Uh, philosophically, I think probably the biggest mistake most preppers are making, and then I'll talk about me, is y'all are full of too much anxiety. Way too much anxiety. You're worried about everything. You should let that anxiety spur you to action and then become emotionally detached from the execution portion of it. Mm. Just do it. Right? You can worry about, oh no, gas is $6 a gallon. What are we going to do? I don't know. Deal with it. How are you going to deal with it? Figure that out and then just do it. Then move on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. If you're operating in fear all the time, you're not actually going to get anything done. And you're missing out on the quality of life that you actually, it's a higher quality of life. When you raise your own food, you're hanging out with people you love, you're doing meaningful stuff because you're motivated by fear, not by the good stuff, doing life together with people that you love. So, And then for me, super tactical, practical, I put my animals too close to my house because I thought that would be a great idea. They're like, hey, they're right there, I can see them. Turns out they can see me too. <laughs> and so I walk out on my porch to hang out with my wife and the sheep are like, <laughs> son of a, right? And so, and you know, manure, flies, the whole nine. And so we've gotten into rotational grazing since then, but if I could do anything over again, they don't need to be 50 yards from your back porch. Like they, you could go a little bit farther out than that if you have the space for it. <coughs> I think a lot of people forget to live because you're waiting for society to collapse. That's it. Like that's really it. I spent a lot of years in a cave doing absolutely nothing. And I heard Jack say, you know, there's a lot of dudes waiting for society to collapse. They spent the last 20 years not living. That was me. That, that was me. And on Jack's thing of, you know, I think a lot of people use, well, I got to get this guy on board as an excuse for their inaction. That's literally what it comes down to. Usually when we say something about somebody else, we're just using that as an excuse for us not executing. Okay, you're going to get the woman's perspective here. Right. Something that doesn't happen a lot in prepper conversations. <laughs> I believe when we choose a husband or wife or partner, we commit to each other for life. But if the person you've committed to is not committed to you back for decades, and I'm a hard worker and I do not give up, at some point, you do need to take care of finding, of leaving that abusive situation. And I know some of you out there are in abusive situations, whether it's with a partner or a roommate or a friend. And you need to learn how to stand up and set boundaries. And sometimes when you set those boundaries, they leave and that is freaking hard. But you know what's harder? Going through a tough time when you're the only one holding the universe together for a bunch of people. It's okay to admit it just didn't freaking work. And I know some of you out there are like, I have the reluctant spouse. There's a difference between a reluctant spouse who you can work with because you love each other and you're working as a family. 
and a freaking anchor. I've walked away from an anchor. It's hard. I may never have anybody else in my life again because I'm never going there. And that's okay. That's the biggest mistake I made. So, so for me, I was in the Navy. I was in the Navy for 11 years. I was a chief. There's a fraternity of brotherhood like no other. So, so once I once I left, um, once I left, the, uh, the brotherhood it wasn't there anymore. Um, the, the, the veterans, as far as like this, it's hard to find people that are red pilled, right, and that understand everything that's going on nowadays. So, um, I don't have a son, like you said. That's the most important thing. Right, what you pass on. So for me, it's that brotherhood, that camaraderie. When you bleed together, that's when you become like who you know, who each other are. Right. So it's not just going to happen all, all of a sudden. Matter so you're going to have more headache. The more people you have, then it's going to magic the blossom. But anyway, I think God's bringing together an army, especially right here, these small people. Anyway, I say that. Say this. I'm a very spiritual, faithful person. I don't typically leave with that, but. For me, I grew up across the bridge. My last name's Willis. I met John Willis, who's to Are you me- Kevin Willis or David Willis? David, or I'm David Willis. Okay. I met John Willis, who's basically family. Um, and a lot of this, it, it had to be the big guy upstairs. I know when I joined the military, you're part of something a lot bigger than yourself, but this was bigger than the military. So I guess my question is, what is it that's happened to you that you didn't put together, like? Like Bear, he's put together quite a, you know, as an example, he put together quite a lot, but what is it that just organically happened to you and you have to thank the man upstairs uh, for us to be where we are now? If you understand that question. Every single person that has come into my life, some of whom are on this stage right now, and definitely all my holler neighbors, is that they may have come to me because I put good out in the world, but because that happened, it came back. And I think something, um, something I've learned that I wanna share based on your story. We have a lot of veterans coming out of the military and there isn't shit for a support network. They're just like, bye. Those guys kill themselves. They end up on the street with addiction problems. And if you have it in you to help just one, transition from being in the military to whatever they get to do next and have hope, that's a huge gift you can give to the world. You know, one thing I hear when you talk though is a loss. Right. I, I served in the military, and I know Billy did. I'm pretty sure you did. Contract. Contract. <laughs> Brotherhood. Um, when you serve, you end up making brothers out of people you probably never would have spoke to if you walked past them on the street. And when you leave that, you can be like, I was like, I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm doing one, and I'm done. Right? And... You're like, I'm glad to be gone. And it doesn't take long to where there's a hole in you 
And you can spend a lot of time looking to fill that hole by trying to replace it with like kind. And the best thing I can give is advice to my, my fellow veterans is to stop trying. There's so much more for you. You will recognize people. You will meet someone for the first time like this man and I did, you know, and instantly you have a bond. But let that bond be outside of what starts it and build a new life, right? I mean, I don't really have an answer to your question, but just I heard that in you. There's a hole that this part of my life's not coming back. It's okay. There's more for you now than there ever was there. I think if I understand what you were saying correctly, it was like, here, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I, if I heard you correctly, it was like, can you account for some of these miracles that have happened in your life, okay? Okay, by every statistical judgment, I should be scrubbing dishes and sing sing, okay? And I started out with a life of crime. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I was that I was that kid that was that moron that I can't stand right now, okay? I was that thug when I was a kid, and of course the military got all that out of me. But um, just like Jack said, you know, when we first met over here, you know, in a more intimate way, yeah. I think <laughs> His beard tickles. <laughs> That's a good. One. You know, the funny thing was, he was stationed in Panama, and then, just like with every other soldier, you you know, shared some of the same ground with. You know, here before long, we're telling each other stories about some of the places we've been before. Okay, the fact that I'm not, like I said, scrubbing dishes in a prison, that's helpful. The fact that, honestly, by every statistical judgment and all the friends that I had growing up, my wife should be, should have ran off with a go-go dancer, you know? I mean, every single statistical thing that should happen for a person with my background ain't happening. And part of that is because I've decided one point to one day that I'm more than what I've become. You dig? I mean, I may have been given this set of cards just like everybody else, but at some point you gotta say, this is where I started and this is what I'm gonna be. And then recognizing that by and large, there are more people in this world that are more polished than spit and more glitter than grit. Um, and realizing that, you know what, I gotta find those people that, in, in company, that encompass all the wonderful things about this world, you know. And having the benefit of having been in this thing, met a lot of stinkers along the way, but I've also met some astonishingly wonderful people that have given me fantastic advice, people that have changed my life in ways that they don't even know yet, people that have changed the way I do business, people that introduced me to the word permaculture, and people that um, have embraced me in ways that I couldn't even imagine have offered me platforms. Now this happens, believe it or not, quite often. But a lot of times I say no because honestly, I would rather be in the company of the people I'm in under this roof with right now. And that to me is a blessing. It's something that I can remember. Do y'all know what Dunbar's number is? Anybody? Sociologically, you can have meaningful relationships with approximately 150 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? That's Dunbar's number. When I moved to eastern Oklahoma from North Texas, Dallas area, uh, just about four years ago, we were completely alone. And for everybody who's like, I can't move from the city because of XYZ, I did it with an 80-year-old grandma, no money, and three kids and no job, so respectfully kiss my ass. <laughs> um, 
backyard screaming at the father, screaming at the sky, going, why the hell am I here? And the response was, if you could just pump the brakes and be patient, you'll figure it out. My tribe now vastly exceeds Dunbar's number. That's a miracle, okay? So if you're thinking about building community and you're alone, that doesn't mean don't start. Just be obedient to those convictions and do it. You put in the work, and it's messy. People are messy. Like you said, you met a lot of stinkers. Me too. People are messy. It's a challenge, but it's worth the mess to do it because four years later, I've literally got more people I can count. I'm like, hey, man, who are you again? I know I saw you at the thing that one time, but what's your name? And that's an absolute blessing. So, and inexplicable. It's nothing but I am your father. I'm your father. <laughs> hey, last time you were here, did we have a fight where people would have thought we were going to kill each other? Are you standing here right now? I love you. So we've talked a little bit about community. I'm curious, what have been some of the best tools that you've all had personally in building community, healthy communities? What is the best what? Uh, best tools that you've used to create community. I love that we can get on a stage like this and have how many people watching right now over there? 205 people online. We had 550 people here this weekend because what we're doing is telling you what, what our world is like and sharing and, and getting information to you. To me, the best tool for this has been that I don't only have to rely on a carrier pigeon. And if you just do it right, and, you, and it's not like there's a right way and a wrong way, right? You just do it and you start and you keep consistent and you use those tools we're here right now it's beautiful outside of podcasting because that's been my number one tool for building community all around the world it was then leveraging that tool by learning the magic of letting go so there are splinters upon splinters upon splinters of sub-communities within the survival podcast and it's because i did what i advised brands to do back when i consulted in marketing they'd say well, dude we want to go viral i can help you with that how much money do you have we got lots of money good answer <laughs> but here's the thing we want to maintain control okay i don't think you and i use the same dictionary to describe what viral is, right? And so my biggest tool for building community was not trying to control the thing that grew out of the birth of the seed. You put the thing there and then people coalesce around it and they start doing it in a way that, that's not exactly what I had in mind. You know what though? They might make something beautiful. So learning to let go of the sub-communities that form and the relations that form and just because it's not what you would have done doesn't mean that it's wrong. That's been my best tool. I think the best tool, and this is going to sound weird coming from a guy to a certain extent. Well, if it weren't for my, I'm the world's biggest Luddite, okay? If it weren't for my son, I wouldn't have this YouTube platform. He talked me into it. I was 
content to be obscure as I had been for some time at that point. But honestly, the biggest tool is right here, right now under this tent. And it's tools like that. Now, that being said, I'm not a big fan. I can't stand online meetings or anything like that. I can't stand impersonal uh, things. I can't stand not being able to touch the guy next to me or whatever. I hate it. I hate it. I hate this whole notion of being able to it's one thing if I can use YouTube or whatever the case may be as an instructional tool, but nothing can replace looking in your eyes and talking to you, knowing if you stink, or knowing, I mean, little nuanced things like that. You have five senses, you have five senses for a reason. You really do. In the military, in the army, when you would go into a patrol base, you would do this little method called SILs. It's to stop, look, listen, and smell. So you have those senses, they are, they are, you, you have them, but I don't get to use, I get to use maybe two of those when I'm speaking to you through a voice call. And so it sure does seem awful curious to me, I don't want to go too far off the deep end, but it sure does seem curious that, you know, how well can you get to know somebody when you're always standing at six, six feet or more away? Was that done by design? You know, because there are some people out there from a metaphysical standpoint that believe that our hearts connect when we're within that six foot range. That's right. That's right. So there are times that my son, he's really, really strong with this. I mean, he's strong with the force. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of these days, as a little side note, I'm going to tell him, when you can snatch the wire nut from my hand, <laughs> if you're not old, you're not going to know what that reference is. <laughs> but at the end of the day, honestly, the best way I like to network, I can't stand doing it through any other means and standing in front of that person, because honestly, I've become really good at being able to smell BS. And I gotta be in person a lot of times to do that, because like I said, you can be more polished than the spit and more glitter than grit. And we were just talking about that earlier, right, Jack? About a lot of the um, people that have YouTube channels that aren't what they claim to be. And when you meet them in person, you find out, you know? So, so building community, what tools would you use or should you use, shortcuts? Um, not everybody's for you. That's the first thing you should understand. There's lots of people in the world. Not all of them are for you. And to Nicole's point, do stuff. Create opportunities for people to do stuff. Hey man, we're gonna go uh, on a bug out bag rock. It's three and a half miles. We leave it, you know, 1,000 hours. And you invite 20 people. Well, the six that show just went to the top of the list. Yeah. Right, those other 14 people, they might talk with their mouth about how they want to be a part of something, but if you continuously create opportunities to do meaningful stuff together and people aren't showing up, it's one thing if mom's got a doctor's appointment or Johnny's sick or the car broke down, okay. But if you are consistently missing opportunities to plug into the community, you're not built for community, right? And then even those that are, it took me a long time to figure this out. Not everybody are my people. They might have a heart for community, they might know everything. And by the way, don't recruit people, train the people you have, okay? You don't recruit on skill sets, you believe in people's heart sets, where's their heart at, all right? So people will come to me and they'll be like, I wanna be in community, they have all these awesome skill sets and blah, 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 and I wanna be a part of this. I don't like you, man, ain't gonna work. Because if I don't like you now, what happens when the balloon goes up, right? And that's okay. Mazel tov, bless you, have a nice life. We can't do life together. And so 
exclusionary tools are just as important as inclusionary tools and do stuff to weed out the people that are talking about it and the people that are actually about it. So they covered all that, but how did all of you get here today? How did you know we were doing this? Podcast. Answer, how did you know we were doing this? I didn't send a postcard to any of you. You should probably use social media to get the results that you want. I mean, every, you're on social media now. Everything, this is all going on social media. For all you dudes that stood and talked to me about all these business ideas you have, but I don't use social media, then how the fuck are you standing here today? Because we didn't mail anything out. Do good shit. Show that you're doing good shit. People will show up. If you don't want to use social media, a lot less people are going to show up. That's it. Pick, pick your platform that you're saying you're not on. Clearly, every one of you are. And utilize it. And then do what then do what they're say, do what these guys all say, and show it on the social media. All right, thanks. I will add the funnel I use. I have a telegram group in Tennessee, Tennessee focused, LFTN Freedom Cells. If you don't know what Telegram is, put that app on your phone and join us. That's the top of the funnel. I don't screen people based on skis factor there unless they do something they just should not do, right? From there, when we have get shit done weekends, if you show up to one, you're starting to develop that relationship. You gotta show up. And over time, you end up a holler neighbor, maybe. I don't know. That's how the holler neighbors are there. They, they, they came in, we built composting outhouses together, we used them and some things went well and didn't and we learned from that and shit stinks, man. And when you've smelled shit together, it's like a bond forms. <laughs> and then you got each other's back, literally. So, you know, there is, to Bear's point, I don't recruit, I'm not looking for the sheep guy or the veterinarian, but because we give opportunities, sometimes people take it. And you've all taken an opportunity here today and yesterday, and you've sat through some pretty brutal heat this afternoon to take advantage of that opportunity under this tent. So I want to applaud you for coming. So, I've had several guys ask me, is Nicole single? And I'm like, yes, she is. They're like, how do we meet her? I don't know, maybe you should probably go where Nicole is if you want to meet Nicole. <laughs> that same thing applies to every conversation we've had. You have to go where it's at if you want to do it. All right, okay. We are at the end of time oh, of Self-Reliance Festival. What? Quit giving the mic. No. I was, I was going to ask a question. <laughs> my daughter whispered to me she had a question, so I'm going to yield my time and let her ask her question. Is that okay? That was a question. <laughs> okay, I would like to invite your daughter to come right up after we wrap up and just ask us the question. So guys, we did it. We survived a hot freaking human weekend in Tennessee outside. <laughs> Is Chris speech around? No? Okay, I was going to have him take a picture of the whole group. Anybody, can somebody hand me my phone? Take a picture from up here back that way, we'll selfie it. Guys, I hope you got a lot out of this weekend. We're going to be back October 1st and 2nd. On Friday this week, some things happen at selfrelicefestival.com. One, if you are like, I want to give a demo, the demo application drops. If you're like, speaker, I want to be on that stage, the speaker application drops. If you want to buy a ticket, the ticket drops. 
All of those things are going to go live Friday this week for October 1st and 2nd. We have some other things that are getting maybe built around that, which might involve a four-day processing workshop extravaganza. And then the weekend before that's a different event nearby. So I'm just saying you might want to put in for your time off now for the whole week and the weekend before because it's going to be that whole period of time is going to be times where you're learning about anything from canning, pantry management, community development, processing ruminants, processing um, poultry. Maybe a little bit of charcuterie stuff that you made fun of this week. Bam. Bam. Some advanced skills. We don't even know what else until you fill out those applications. It's going to be even better than this one because it comes from us. This whole event, why this works is it has always come from you. So keep your eyes out for that. We will email you if we have your email address. So thank you for coming. Hang out while we take a quick photo of Chris's here. We're going to go down here too. Are you still there? <laughs> I know, I know. It's a lot of content. Over five hours, maybe five and a half hours between the two episodes. So I applaud you. You know, I'm, I'm going to assume you listened to part one first, but even if you didn't, if you plan to go and listen to part one now, which is the one-on-one interviews with a lot of the same people you just heard, if you listened, I'm, I'm asking you, you know, little value for value. And you can do that by going to easypeasygardens.com, hitting the podcast tab, and then the donate button at the top. And with that, I will talk to y'all soon.